Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. My name is Joel Moran and I'm here with Riv and Andrew Velez and this is now episode 106. In this episode, we are going to recap the NBA Summer League and talk about the players that were the most impressive and disappointing. Then we'll review the Malice at the Palace documentary, debate how Carmelo's career would have turned out if he was drafted by the Pistons and if RJ Barrett is disrespected. Tend off the show, we'll go over NBA Christmas Day schedule, talk about Katie's interview with Draymond, and recent contract extensions. This is now episode 106. Andrew is now back. Rev, you know what to do. Give it a round of applause. Light blue button. Thank he you. is now Thank back you. from vacation. He has, a, he has a nice tan. Thank you. Notice the tan. He wanted you guys to notice it. That's why he brought it. Exactly. Short sleeve That's why, you know, shirt. I'm glowing a little bit different now. And it's before right. starting the show, I want to give a thank you to everybody that has been supporting this podcast because we are ranked in eight countries. Canada, shout out to our Raptors fans. Saudi Arabia, Bahamas, Indonesia, Japan, Ghana, United Arab Emirates. I hope I said that right. And Australia. We started this podcast a year ago and we didn't have a huge following. I mean, Riv doesn't even have a Twitter. <laughs> uh, I don't even have a thousand followers on Twitter. I don't even have five hundred followers on Twitter. So you're just gonna say I don't have a Twitter without the context? You just go. Right. Uh, he got suspended multiple times, but even then, your Twitter wasn't popping. <laughs> Ooh, and none of us on outside of like of YouTube have you know platforms on social media where we're popping. We didn't decide to start this podcast because we had a huge ass following on other platforms. We just started this, and the growth of this podcast is a testament to. You guys watching and tuning in all the time. We appreciate that so much. And I like it like this better because it feels very organic. It feels like, you know, it feels like just yesterday when I was celebrating a thousand, a thousand viewed video. You know, our, our the first video on the channel that got a thousand views was a Raptors video. I, it felt like yesterday when I was celebrating that victory. So it's came and it's came a long way. And I love the community that's being built and talking about the community I'm going to give a quick Patreon shout out to Cat Stevens, Ben Mack, P. Dot, George Garcia, Hakari, Mateen, and Jay Aqua. He doesn't want me to say his name on here, so I'll say <laughs> Jay Aqua. We have a Discord server for all of our Patreon subscribers. So if you subscribe to our Patreon, you can be a part of our Discord server. We are always active on there talking, debating, you know, just talking about sports stuff or. Lately, we've been talking about the WWE and AEW stuff. CM Punk returning. That was crazy, That was man. huge news. That was nuts. You saw the grown man that shed a tear on television for CM Punk? No, I, I, yes, I did see that. Yes. Yeah. It was like right after he was giving them the hugs. And he's like, he's just, it's, you see him like hysterically crying. That was hilarious. He that was, was tearing. Lit. That yeah. was lit. That was one of the best moments that I've seen in a while, man. Nah, CM Punk I had returning. goosebumps the whole time. So yeah, you can join our Patreon server. I mean, you can join our Discord server if you subscribe to our Patreon it is in the link. Is it? It is in the description down below. It's going to be linked, and I want to read some of these Apple podcasts as well because we have gotten a few since last episode, since the last couple of episodes. Dev Glass says one of my favorite podcasts. I love Pick Aside. Easily one of my favorite podcasts. I genuinely anticipate for each episode drop. Great group of guys just chopping it up about hoops and sports. Love it. We appreciate you, Dev Glass. And then this is from Rich Homie Carl. <laughs> great pod <laughs> lit name 
I wait for every episode to drop to listen to while I work. Non-biased, other than the occasional Nick's takes. I wonder who that is. For real. Keep up the great work, guys, and I highly recommend this to anybody who loves basketball slash football. Also, I think y'all will miss Duarte on the Summer League guys who've impressed. Go and look at his games and how complete of a player he is and how he can immediately impact the Pacers. Love to hear what y'all think about him. What do you guys think about Duarte? We'll get to that. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> In the Summer League segments, we'll get to that. Then the last review we got, best sports debate pod from S.Triplet123. Waiting for the next episode is the worst part. You won't be disappointed listening to this pod. Trust me, Triplet. It's the worst part for me too, man. I've been waiting <laughs> on this episode for a while. I was in Vegas this uh, past week, and I couldn't wait to come back and record this episode. And we'll talk about Chris Duarte. Don't worry, Rich Homie Car. We'll talk about Chris Duarte because we have a Summer League segment in this episode, and you guys can always rate and review our podcast on our podcast, and you know we'll read it on the podcast and react to whatever you guys have to say. So the first segment of the show, Davion Mitchell was a co-MVP in the Summer League with Cameron Thomas, who I was very high on uh, before the draft. And the question is, can Davion Mitchell instill a winning culture in Sacramento they have. They are two-time summer league champions. They are two-time summer league champions. They have won more summer league championships than they have made the playoffs in the past ten years. They have the longest tenured playoff drought in NBA history. Mm. You think Davion Mitchell can change that in any way? <laughs> I think it's too much to ask from a guy in Davion Mitchell to come in and just completely change the whole culture of Sacramento. Like you said, they've been losing for a long time. They haven't had winning basketball in a long time. I think. It's going to be a collective effort. I think Davion could definitely come in and, and still, you know, he just won the, the Baylor National Championship. He just won Summer League, the championship. He's a co-MVP. So as you can see, winning follows him. He's been a part of a winning culture for the past two years. So he can come in and bring that winning mindset. Sacramento is a, a young team that doesn't like to play defense. Davion could come in. He can bring that defensive mindset to them as a team. And, like, you've seen some highlights from him in the summer league, you know, locking up James Bucknight, playing incredible defense on Peyton Pritchard. Like, he's defensively, he's been as advertised so far. So, I think asking him to come in and bring a winning mentality to Sacramento, that's going to be tough. But I think, you know, you start with guys like that. And I think once you start with guys like that, you can start to develop something in that culture. So, I look at Davion Mitchell, and the first guy that comes to my mind is Marcus Smart. Now, I look at Marcus Smart's game, and I see how it equates to Davion Mitchell. Davion Mitchell is known for being an elite defender, or that potential of being an elite defender. And he showed off. He showed that 100% in Summer League that he is, in my opinion, the best perimeter defender in this draft by far. And you match that with his motor that is just nonstop. From quarter one to quarter four, he's on go. That's Marcus Smart to a T. You look at Marcus Smart, a guy who is known for his defense, can hit the occasional jump shot, but is really that that guy that tries to bring the group together as a guy you want in that that locker room. And Davion Mitchell could potentially be a guy like that, someone that is always going to give you everything that they have the entire game. It's something that the Kings do not have right now. And from what I've seen from Davion Mitchell in Summer League, it's a, it's a good sign for, for what the, the Kings 100% need especially with the talent that they have. And his role is going to be similar to that of Marcus Smart's on the Celtics. Marcus Smart was a six-man point guard off the bench, and I think that that's going to be Davion's role. I think that they're probably going to start Halliburton, definitely start Fox. 
but he doesn't need to go above and beyond in that sense. In that sense, offensively, even though offensively he shot forty-seven percent from three, so you know he's more than capable of shooting the ball like that. Field goal percentage forty-two point three definitely could bring that up a little bit, but it's definitely respectable. I just th- I look to his motor and his his elite talent defensively, and it's going to translate to wins in the sense that it's going to ignite the rest of his team. And that's why I believe that. Do I think he's a game changer, uh, you know, superstar in the league? No. But I think that if he does his role the way I believe he's going to play his role, I think that it definitely will will correlate to wins. When he was drafted by the Kings, I was shocked. I was shocked for the wrong reasons because I believe that that was not the right pick. But then sitting back on it, thinking about the pick, I got to tell you, they couldn't have made a better pick at that spot. Going with Davion Mitchell was better than going with a project player like a Jalen Johnson. Are we sure he's still a project player? Jalen Johnson? Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. He definitely <laughs> looks he definitely looks great right now. But at the time, he definitely was. <clears throat> Davion Mitchell, everywhere he goes, he wins. In high school, he won. Baylor, he won. Auburn, I think he won. They they went far with him as well, but he didn't play much. No, no, um, it's strictly Baylor. But they went yeah. far the year before too. So, okay, so Davion Mitchell, everywhere he's gone, he's won. And the reason Sacramento drafted him is because they wanted more guys that can <laughs> fit into that culture. The reality of the situation is that if the Kings had a better coach, we would view this team in a totally different light. I was surprised by this, but Luke Walton is the se- has the second highest winning percentage in Sacramento Kings coach head coaching history, history, only behind Rick Adelman. Luke Walton is number two. He has won 31 games each season. He has been there each season. They have played 72 games. I wish they still would have had Dave Yeager because Dave Yeager got fired 2018-2019 season. He won 39 games. That was the most since the 05-06 season, and he got rewarded by getting fired. And Marvin Bagley, his best season was his rookie year with Dave Yeager. We saw Luke Walton mishandle young talent in Los Angeles. So the fact that they brought him back, they, the fact that Sacramento signed him, I think, was a mistake. Because you look at this talent, De'Aaron Fox, Davion Mitchell, Halliburton, maybe he could start, but I think Buddy Heald st- still might start. Okay. So Fox, Davion, Heald, Halliburton, Harrison Barnes, Terrence Davis, Luke King, I think could maybe get some role player minutes this upcoming season. Marvin Bagley, Mo Harkless, Rashawn Holmes, and Tristan Thompson is on Sacramento as well. From top to bottom, they have a really good roster. They just don't have a coach that can lead them there. And I'm not sure how much Luke Walton is going to going to improve this upcoming season, but they have brought in some other coaches like they added Mike Longardi, Longabardi, who was a coach for the Cleveland Cavaliers. He has won a championship as a coach, but the knock on him is that in Cleveland, their defense suffered once he was added to the staff. They also hired Doug Christie as an assistant on Luke Walton's staff, who spent five years in Sacramento when Sacramento was competing year in and year out. Monte Monty McNair, the GM for the Kings, did not co-sign Luke Walton being the coach. I think Luke Walton isn't fired right now because the Kings don't want to pay him while he's not working for them. Okay. 
even though they have denied those reports, that's what I think it is. But their biggest problem right now is inconsistency. Last year, they went on a five-game winning streak. Then they went on two nine-game losing streaks. Their problem is inconsistency. I think Davion Mitchell, he brings consistency. Defense every night. Spaces the floor every night. So he'll help them in that aspect. But if we're talking about long-term, I do think in the next two seasons, we're going to see Doug Christie take over as the head coach of the Sacramento Kings. And I think that's when it'll start to take off. But as long as Luke Walton is the coach, I don't have much faith in them. Faith I mean, in them. I mean, you know, for the Kings, it's just it's just tough. I, I, I want to say they have a good team. You know, there's nights where they show us that they can compete with anybody. But at the same time, you know, you can't, I don't think you're going to be able to win games if you have one of the worst defensive teams in the league, you know, with with the young core too. Like this team, Fox is young, Hallie Burton is young, Bagley, although he hasn't been what he is, he's still young. You know, Davion Mitchell, he's not young, but he's, you know, young. He's not young being drafted, but he's still a young player. And I think it starts with defense. You know, if this team, the personnel you just named out, I, I don't, you know, Bagley isn't a plus defender. Fox is. Barnes is, you know, Sean Holmes, is. Sean Holmes is Tristan Thompson at times. Can be, is. Halliburton, yeah, but it's like collectively, are they a good team defense? And I don't think they are. And that's what relates to the fact that they're one of the worst defensive teams in the league. Mitchell can definitely come in, change that, not change the full narrative, but help that narrative. But I think, like you said, Luke Walton isn't a bad coach. I mean, is a bad coach. And that combinates with the fact that this team is just built to be a good playoff team. So I don't I don't know. If Walton's going to get fired or not, I hope he does. He's really not that good. But, you know, with Mitchell coming into a bad situation, I think he can definitely put some positive eyes in the looks of Sacramento Kings fans who haven't seen positivity for a long time. No, I, I, I definitely agree with both sentiments that you guys are saying right now. On the coaching end, I feel like they need a more experienced coach. Luke Walton has some years underneath his belt for sure, but I feel like they need an old-school type guy to really – a Tom Thibodeau almost. Like, something, someone that's going to really – light the fire under their butt every single night. Like, listen, we know you can play offense. We know you guys can go get buckets whenever you want, but we need to see it on the defensive side too. And that's the reason Sacramento is not, at, you know, not significantly better than, than what they've shown us these last few seasons. You look at the 2019 season, they had 39 wins. It's like that team was pretty solid and people were talking about that Kings team like it was, was really good. They've gotten more talent to add on top of that going into this next season too. So I don't understand how they've regressed in that sense. And it solely comes back to the sense that they don't play good defense at all. And that's what backpacking off Riff said. Davion Mitchell can come in and be the difference maker defensively that could potentially lead the spark under all these guys and say, listen, we got a guy here that is giving it everything that he has defensively. Let, let's, let's continue going off this. Put it into perspective, they had a better offense than the Heat last season. No, they have a lot of firepower just, offensively. The, the defense, you know, you have to play defense, in a, especially in the regular season. It's like Harrison Barnes gets disrespected. He's a bucket getter. Buddy Heald, one of the best three-point shooters in the league. Obviously, Darren Fox is one of the more upcoming players in our <coughs> league. If not, he he's now. In my, he's now. Darren Fox is like that. Rashawn Holmes is a solid player for sure. We know my opinion on him. I, I really like him <laughs> as a player for sure. Ty, Tyrese Halliburton, didn't he ever – was it? I don't want to throw false numbers. He was first team all rookie. He was good. He was he, really good. He was super solid and and can very clutch. Definitely too. play the point guard position very well. I like this this core that the Kings have. I just think they need a more experienced guy. Luke Walton in L.A. He stunted Lonzo and Brandon Ingram's development when he was there. 
you saw when Ingram went to New Orleans, he really took off. And Lonzo, he's still finding himself, but we'll see if he takes off in Chicago. You know my opinion on Lonzo. Did you watch the uh, DeMar DeRozan thing? I watched it, but when he said, what when is he, he going to say? When he was talking to Gilbert? Yeah, I watched it. Oh, okay. You know, what is he going to say? Though? No, no, I just wanted oh, to make Lonzo's sure. Lonzo's not going to play his game. No, you know, I'm of just course he's going to say he's going to play his game. Just making sure you saw that. I know. De- I definitely saw it. But I, I think the Kings have a scar. That scar is Luke <laughs> Walton. They have a big scar. I think Davion Mitchell is a band-aid over that scar, and so are all these talented players. Marvin Bagley has not improved since his rookie season because Impressed. Luke Walton is the coach. That's what I firmly believe. I think... They need to find a way to get a better coach, and then that's when the Kings will finally take off. And that's what I think the problem is right now. But I think Davion Mitchell was the right pick because you look at the Kings' roster all around, they have talent top to bottom. They need NBA-ready guys. And I think Davion Mitchell at that, at that spot, at that time, not in hindsight, was the most NBA-ready guy, and that's why they picked him there. And talking about Davion Mitchell, we talked about Summer League. He was a co-MVP for the Summer League. <coughs> The Summer League released their first and second team. And I'm going to name you the guys on the first team. Jalen Johnson, Davion Mitchell, Trey Murphy, Payne Pritchard, Jalen Smith, Cam Thomas, and Obi Toppin. The second team was Cade Cunningham, Luca Garza, Jalen Green, Paul Reed, and Patrick Williams. Who do you think is most likely to break out this season or have a huge impact on their teams? from the first team and the second team, and do you feel like any player was snubbed on this list? All right, well, I'm going to start with a uh, snub. I'm glad the dude pointed out about Chris Dorte because that's what I was going to say was my snub. I feel like, you know, he came into the summer league. We knew, we all knew he was NBA ready, but we didn't know he had this bit of a bag into him, this bit of the fact that he, you know, he plays defense at a high level. He's a really good shooter. He's a good finisher at the basket. He can create shots for his own. He can create shots for others. So I think him going out there and showing his, you know, his expanded bag. I feel like in college he was kind of limited to the system Oregon ran, and I feel like he kind of didn't show everything he wanted to show. But coming into the NBA, you know, summer league is a chance where rookies get to show what they have in them, and I think he was able to do that. On the first team, I think Trey Murphy, you know, being as the situation is, I don't think Jalen Johnson's going to be able to play as much this year. I think Trey Murphy, though, he can easily slide in and be a starter, or he can, you know, be a six-man. I think he's going to be able to show – his impact early on this year because of the fact that he can shoot the ball. He can play defense at a high level from what we've seen so far. He's a pretty good ball handler. and He's tall and lengthy. He's about 6'8". So I think he's going to be able to go in there, stretch the floor. You know, the Pelicans, they need floor spacing for Zion and Brandon Ingram. They need spacing. And I think Trey Murphy could come in and bring that spacing. On the second team, I think Jonathan Kaminga, I think what we've seen from him is the fact that he can move quick on his feet. He's a solid defender. You know, He all made the, it? On the second team. I don't. I thought it was, it was Cade, Luca, Jalen Green, Paul Reed, and Patrick. I was going to say that was my snub, truthfully. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. Kaminga didn't make it. Yeah, Kaminga was. Oh, my, yeah. hold on. I was sitting behind Kaminga at summer league. How was that? It was cool. Oh, was that? Yeah. Wow. I was looking at something completely different. <laughs> he was Sorry. signing autographs. Who was the second team again? Cade Cunningham, Luca Garza, Jalen Green, Paul Reed, and Patrick Williams. Wow. I have nobody on that list. Uh huh. <laughs> I'm going to continue with Jonathan Kaminga though. I feel like he can contribute. Actually, I'm gonna pick on the second team. I'm gonna go with Patrick Williams. Obviously, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna be a homer. Obviously, I, I feel like Patrick Williams this year. You know, walking in this year with Demar Derozan, who's gonna be able to teach him a lot about that small forward position, being the best, if not the best, the second best defender in our starting lineup, either behind Lonzo or in front of Lonzo, being our number one guy on the perimeter to defend the wings. I feel like he's gonna have to take a step forward this year, being aggressive, being more alert on defense, and being a better ball handler. And for that, I got him. 
Damn, Kaminga, I really thought he made the second team. That's all right. No big crazy. deal, bro. So, for my snub, I had Jonathan Kaminga. And I understand why Kaminga didn't make a first or second team. His splits weren't that good. He shot 39% from the field, 27 from three. only shot 65% from the free throw line. But this is on 17.4 points, five, you know, just under six rebounds, averaged over a steal and a half in five games. This guy definitely showed more than what I was expecting, truthfully. And... and Going into it, I thought Kaminga was a really solid player, but some of the bags that he has, he he kind of looks like Paul George sometimes. He looks exactly like that. Him. That quick hezzy that he had, that he just caught that dude slipping, just took it to his right to his right hand and drove to the basket, yammed it. He looked identical to Paul George, so I think that you know that was a little bit of a snub. I get it though; the splits need to definitely come up. But now going to the first and to the second team, my guy who I think is going to break out this season, Payne Pritchard. Now. You look in and Let's you go. see Kemba Walker. He's gone, so now there leaves a bit of a a, a vacancy at point guard. Obviously, well, I think Smart, Smart is Smart, starting. Absolutely, I think Marcus Smart's going to take over that that starting role. But off the bench, I think now this is Payne Pritchard's time. We saw him show out in, in summer league, averaged over seventeen points, and this is what really stuck out to me: eight point five assists. Especially when you're playing with Jason uh, with Jason Tatum as obviously one of the best scorers in our league. Arguably top three scores in our league. Who that, that's not too far off to say. J, Jalen, it's arguable. You could argue it. Jalen Brown, in my eyes, one of the most underrated players in all of the NBA by far. As good as people rate him, I think he's so much better than that. And these are their two best scorers. And I have now seen that he has the ability to facilitate the basketball at a high level. And it, I, I I saw <laughs> the things that he can do. The fact that his step back three is as good as it is. He he is that perfect off the bench role player that I I feel as if you lose Kemba, it, it definitely hurts because he he had a good gun. Actual question. Let's hear it. Um, do you think? I <laughs> how you answer me. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think Schroeder would stunt his growth? Or well, limit? Well, well, paint. Not stunt. Let me not say no, that. Sorry. I, I, limit him to what he was going to show us before he got there. The thing is, I feel as if Schroeder's obviously there because his his defense is really solid. I feel as if offensively, I think they need to give more opportunity to Payne Pritchard. I saw his, his three-point. You don't think so? After he got locked up by Davion. But Davion Mitchell is an amazing defender. He That's pretty unfair. That's unfair. <laughs> he, he, uh-huh. He's an amazing defender, but Payne Pritchard... This is his second. He's going into his he second was year. Locked up. He no, got sure. life in prison no, listen, against Davion. And, and I'm I'm here, been on record I, for I like, multiple I like shows Pritchard. now. I just don't believe that he's he is anything. Well, they're more. both of them other guards coming off the bench with Neesmith. I, I don't believe Pritchard is anything more than a three and D point guard. Okay. I personally don't think that. But, but I just think that he's going to have more opportunity. Yeah, that's a little bit rude. A little bit rude. Uh, no, for I sure. think that is exactly the player he is. Well, the his defense. Yeah. What if, yeah uh, I, I, I saw him do some crazy things with that basketball. I, I like Pritchard, but three I just and he's got some range. Yes, yeah, and he's quick off. Threes. He's quick off. Quick three off. Hold on, let me finish too. He can occasionally two. make plays. He's quick off the but dribble. I am not His vision is pretty solid, and it's not like you need him to be your number one, number two, number three option. If he's just one of those guys that plays a, a Caruso type role, but is more of a facilitator in the offense, <clears> you'll take that every single day of the week. And I do believe that he'll be a breakout player. Now for my second team. Luca Garza. Now, this is why I feel like he'll. I lean Luca Garza because coming out of college, this guy was solid, twenty four points per game. 
and he dropped to the second round. Now, obviously, this guy's got a lot of talent, and it was overlooked. I, I, I couldn't tell you why. Now, he goes into a, a really good situation in Detroit where, you know, there's not, there's not expectations on Detroit. There's expectation on one player in Detroit, and that's obviously Kate Cunningham. And Luke is going to only benefit off Cade Cunningham being on that team because mm. all the all the attention is going to be on Cade, and and Cade is a facilitating forward in my opinion. I think he's a small forward. You know, people have him as a point guard. He's he's a point forward in my opinion. He could play any position on the court, but the fact that he's going to be draw most of the attention. Luca Garza clearly has the ability to score offensively. I I think that defensively is where he he needs to improve for sure, but. In terms of breaking out, in terms of really making an impact on the squad, Luca Garza definitely could make some noise. I, I like your two picks. I like uh, Trey Murphy. I think he can make an immediate impact. Pam Pritchard, I do like it as well, even though I'm not super high on him. I think he's a solid role player. He'll play his role. Definitely. Especially with Dennis Schroeder having the ball. I don't think they'll ask Pam Pritchard to do too much off the bench. Sure. But I think my pick Shouldn't be a surprise, you know. Cam Thomas. It, it's Cam Thomas. I think Cam Thomas, not only was he the most <clears throat> impressive player in Summer League, getting buckets anytime he wanted, but he's going to make an impact on Brooklyn day one. He's going to get minutes. Because Dinwiddie's gone, that's why they drafted Cam Thomas, a guy who can get a bucket at any single time. I think off the bench, it's going to be Patty Mills and Cam Thomas. Those are going to be their guards off the bench. I firmly believe that. And Cam Thomas, learning under Kevin Durant, Kyrie, James Harden, what a perfect situation for him. Before the draft, I called him a top three scorer in this draft. Even said, it's not crazy to have him over Buck Knight. I would, I would put him over Buck Knight because Buck Knight has better handle. But in terms of getting to their spots, I think Cam Thomas does a better job at getting to his spots. He's only 19 years old. This guy is only going to keep getting better. I think Cam Thomas is going to make an immediate impact. This guy is legit. I was a fan before the draft, and I just love that all these guys I'm a fan of are proving me right. Cam Thomas, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones. Wait, wait, they're proving Mitchell? you right in the summer yeah, league? Exactly. Yes, I'm, so far, I'm taking my wins when I, where I can take them. Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, Cam Thomas, all of my guys, man. Those are my guys. And second-year pick, I think the second-team pick, it's Patrick Williams. I think Patrick Williams will benefit uh, playing with uh, DeMar DeRozan, Lonzo, and a much improved um, Zach Levine, who's coming back from the Olympics, going to be much more confident. Patrick Williams, I think, has a lot of potential to not only be one of the best defenders in this league, but I think he has a lot of potential as an offensive player. He can be what Jalen Brown is right now. At his peak, I believe that. People say Kawhi, okay, I get it. Let's just say Jalen <laughs> yeah, Brown. Kawhi is a, is a different species. He's not an alien. He's, he's an alien. My snub is Chris Duarte. You know, I think he averaged 18 points per game in the summer league, shot 49% from three, averaged two steals, two blocks. This is why the Warriors wanted him. This is why the Pelicans wanted him. This is why the Knicks <laughs> wanted him. Because he's NBA-ready right now. The reason why I wasn't so impressed with Chris Duarte is because, I mean, come on, at 24 years old, I expect you to do this. <laughs> yeah. you know, that, that's why if, if he was 19, 20, I'd, okay, this guy is legit. If, that was, if it was Josh Primo doing that, mm -hmm. wow, Josh He Primo, wasn't bad, though. No, Josh Primo wasn't bad. I, I'm not saying that at all. Really but good. if he did what Duarte did, oh, my gosh, Primo, yeah. this guy is the real deal. But because Duarte is 24, I expect you to be good from day one. 
I mean, that's why they drafted you so high because they expect you to be this good from day one. You're 24 years old. Mm. You're as old as some guys who have been in the league for six years. Fox, right? Devin Booker. That too. So that's why I believe that, you know, people didn't have him on their radars as much because we already kind of expected him to do that. But he was, he definitely had some better numbers. He had better numbers than a lot of guys on his list. But yeah, my two picks are Cam Thomas, Patrick Williams, and I like Trey Murphy a lot. I think Trey Murphy with Zion, with Ingram. Definitely. I like the fit. They're going to be, they're going to be good, man. I think they're going to be good. On to Summer League disappointments. (laughs) Who disappointed you in Summer League? I think uh, James Bucknight for me, I think a lot of the, you know, it, it, it wasn't, I don't want to say his full game disappointed because he showed me signs where he can play make. He showed me signs where he can create for others. He showed me signs where he can play defense. But I think what disappointed me was the fact that, like you said, Cam walked in and he showed you what he showed you in college, that he can score at any level. And I think that's what I would say James Bucknight, he disappointed me because he didn't score the way I thought he was. He would be able to score this early. I think a lot of the times he was settling. He wasn't being aggressive. A lot of the times he was taking bad shots, so he was doing a little bit too much on the offensive end. He got locked up by Davion too. Yes, he also got locked up by Davion Mitchell. So it's like that. That seems to be a, a pattern. I know, but th- what he did to Payne Pritchard was bad. Um, listen, it was bad. I agree, but he this guy. No, nah, I'm saying I'm saying Payne Pritchard. Even screens weren't helping yeah. him. He was trying to use screens, and he was still getting. Yeah, James was just trying to go one on one. It yeah. just he just it. It, it didn't yeah, work. But um, and, and another one, I think me and uh, uh, Joel, we could probably agree on this one. Killing Hayes, I think. Yeah. This guy, I don't, I don't know what's wrong with him. You know, I thought. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I no, thought Cade I'm would you know relieve. Funny. Even though it's summer league, I thought Cade was going to relieve and help some of the pressure off him. But it just seems like he at times. Loses his, he takes bad shots. You know, at times he doesn't make the right play. Defensively, he's a dog. I think defensively, he really plays defense. He locks down on that other end. But on offense, you know, he's his offensive game still needs a lot of work. His floater needs a lot of work. His jump shot, and even at times his decision making. I think Cade. I thought it would benefit, but so far it looks like it's only going to kind of hinder him because with Cade with the ball, he's going to play off ball, and Killing Hayes' jump shot isn't there for him to play off ball at the moment. So those are my two disappointments. My disappointment, Keon Johnson. Uh, he played horrible. He played absolutely <laughs> terrible. Shot 29% from the field, 20% from three, shot under 60% from the free throw. He played bad. He did not look good. Brandon Boston looked good. He did look all right, but for Terrence and I just think this is as worse as you could possibly play. Truthfully, I mean, he just nothing was going right for him. Averaged under nine points. I, I think he was just like I think it was like eight eight eight. So I'll give him that. That being said, he really didn't show me much. Not not you know I look at him like he was supposed to be athletic, but all the things that I had worried about Keon going in, or even when the Clippers selected him. The size seems to be an issue. You know, six four in, in hype for sure, but one eighty five frame is definitely going to play as a disadvantage to his game. I just can't believe he played that bad, truthfully, and that's why I, I just can't wrap my mind about. You know, pre draft dude Keon, is mesmerized. Yeah, for real, it was the, it was so bad. <laughs> pre draft Keon Johnson, that's not that's one hundred percent good. Sorry when I first that. started to to watch these prospects, I texted Riv at the time because I was watching Tennessee, and I said. I don't know what people see in Keon Johnson. Like, he, I mean, Keon, that's outside of the like, obvious athletes. There was a time Johnson, where he was a top five pr- projected pick, lottery Keon pick. is extremely athletic, but his offensive game is limited. I wasn't impressed by the two Tennessee guards, uh, Jaden Springer or Keon. 
I thought they were kind of. That was when you was watching um Tennessee versus. I fr- I think it was against Kentucky. I was watching. Yeah, I think it was Kentucky, Kentucky games. They weren't that impressive to me. I think Jaden Springer is, is he he fits the NBA a little bit better because he's more of a role player. I, I see I see that in him. But Keon Johnson, the signs were there. You said it, man. Killian Hayes. I talked about him last podcast a little bit about how much he struggled. And I do think there is a scenario where we could see Killian Hayes out of the NBA. Or not out of the NBA. Yeah, that was crazy. But that, out of the rotation, <laughs> out of the rotation of the Pistons guard lineup. Well, look, look, to your defense, if he's not playing for the Pistons, who is he playing for? He can play somewhere else. He'll play somewhere else. That's but, out know, of the league. No, no, I, I misspoken that. Yeah. No, I, there I, is, a, there is a scenario where Killian Hayes will not be in this rotation because in the NBA, things move fast. I draft you and you're this new prize possession, but the next year a better prospect comes along who plays your position, mm-hmm. and now you're not as valuable to my franchise anymore. That's how these higher-ups think. That's why it's all about situations. And Killian Hayes, sadly for him, if he got put in a bad situation, if the Pistons were to draft Evan Mobley, Jalen Green, Kaminga, Scotty, this wouldn't be a problem. But because it was Cade Cunningham, because of how Cade plays, it is a problem. Killian Hayes' defense is there. But if he can't develop that three-point shot, he cannot play with Cade Cunningham. And you look at the point guards on the roster, Frank Jackson, who's a, who was a 40% three-point shooter last season, fits better next to Cade right now. Saban Lee, get to the basket at will, an explosive guard, Yo, plays defense as well. Saban Lee can play next to Cade better than Killian Hayes. Then you look at Corey Joseph, who they resigned. Veteran point guard, he will get minutes because he's a veteran guy. Yep. Or, he fits better next to Cade as well. There's a scenario where if Killian Hayes is playing bad, okay, Corey Joseph, you're going to start now. Killian Hayes comes off the bench. If Frank Jackson is playing better than him at that moment, he might surpass him. There is that scenario, and I think Killian Hayes, I don't know what it is, but he needs to get himself together, focus on his game, get his shot better so he can have a breakout season because right now he is on the verge of being a forgotten high pick by the Pistons. Yeah, and I think, you know, you know, I'm not going to go like crazy, crazy, like you said, and say out of the league, but, you know, he's still young. But like you said, you know, I think Cade can play off ball, but I think Detroit's best bet to win is with Cade on the ball and everybody else just feeding off him. And Killian, he needs to develop that three-point shot. I, I, it could be a scenario where, you know, Detroit goes big, goes Cade, Bay, and I think Diombe or – Jeremy Boy, Grant at the three and the four and they have a five. They, they can go big and put Sadiq Bay next to Cade, and that'd be crazy too. So I think Killian Hayes definitely has to develop a jump shot. You know, he's still young. He has he still has things, you know, things in his game where you can still see like he's still one of their prized possessions for the future. He's still a good player. You know, defensively, they're gonna need him because, you know, Cade is a good defender, but you know, in terms of guarding the best guards and being quick on your feet and being agile, I think Killian is a bit better at that. Okay, you would want him guarding the best guards, but yeah, offensively he needs to get it going because it's going to be tough. That defense will keep him above water until he gets that shot up. Mm-hmm. I think if he can shoot between thirty-one to thirty-three percent, that's manageable mm-hmm. if he's playing high-level defense. But ultimately, he has to get up to thirty-five, thirty-six percent in order to be a point guard that can truly fit next to Cade. Another guy, though, was Zaire Williams. I think Zaire Williams was was average for the Memphis. And, you know, we might be looking at a guy who was a bad pick. Memphis, frame. 
Memphis traded up for this guy. You know, Zaire Williams. Passed on a few good guys. And I'm not sure what Memphis's plan is because they are talking about maybe trading Dylan Brooks or Kyle Anderson. I'm not sure the direction they're going in right now. But Zaire Williams was a potential pick. And he definitely played like a guy who, yeah, he was a raw He's prospect a coming out of college. And we'll see what it becomes. He definitely has a frame. But in terms of as a player, I wasn't sold on him in college because I think there were a lot of flaws in his game. We'll see if he can develop with Memphis, yep. but that is still to be seen. On to the next topic, Malice at the Palace, Netflix Untold, mm. <laughs> documentary. Man, <laughs> I watched it the first day it came out, ironically. I didn't even know it was out. I just watched it, and I, I, I saw the whole thing, and then after I went just binge-watching on YouTube interviews from Jermaine O'Neal because I wanted to see how his career turned out after Indiana. I saw his interview with uh, All the Smoke podcast. That was a great interview. I want to ask you guys this. Was the punishment from the NBA out of line to Ron Artest, Jermaine O'Neal, and Steven Jackson? And do you believe that the Pacers team, that team would have won the NBA championship that year if the punishments had not been so harsh? Okay, um, I'm going to start by saying this. Jermaine O'Neal is a great guy. You know, he's really cool, down to earth. Really good player, very underrated player in our era of basketball. You know, people tend to forget those early 2000 teams like the Kings, the Pacers, Detroit, you know, um, really good player. I think they kind of like the during that time, as you watched it during that time, the, the media was destroying players at that time, calling them thugs. You know, they're street, they're disrespecting their characters, you know, basically saying they're thugs in the NBA. So I feel like the NBA just did that to kind of send a message to the media that we were with you on this side. But I think it was a little too harsh because, you know, if you watch the tape, the Pacers didn't start it. You know, pe- people threw a drink at Ron Artest. Somebody, yeah. Somebody threw a drink. And, and then they threw another drink when he went up there and ran down on the person who threw the drink at first. And, you know, their players, you know, being that they're brothers, they work with each other every day, see each other every day. You know, they shower together. They play together. No, pause. You just had line. to throw that in there, right? I'm sorry. <laughs> this guy, huh? That's what came to his mind. Huh? Well, they play together. You know, they work out together. They they basically spend their lives seeing each other every day all year. So you see, if I, if me and Drew on the same team, we on the same team, and I see him get a drink thrown on him, and he's about to get jumped, I'm going to run down by any means. You know what I'm saying? Steven Jackson, I feel like he did the right thing. Ran down and helped his brother Jermaine O'Neal. Thank God he tripped. Because he looked like he was going to knock bro out. Oh, that was like a Superman punch. So I think they was a little too harsh because, you know, you see your brothers fight and you jump in regardless. And like I said, it was a hostile environment. Detroit gets that since the 80s and the 90s, Detroit's been like that. I don't think they would have won the chip, though. You know, I think Detroit, and that was the, um, that was the year that the Lakers went. San Antonio. San Antonio. Went. I think Detroit had the perfect personnel to guard guys like Shaq and Tim Duncan. You know what I'm saying? They had Ben. They had Rasheed. I don't think – I think Jermaine O'Neal is a really good defender. But when you have both Wallaces down there, you know, Tim don't get no plays off. You know what I'm saying? I think Jermaine O'Neal, you know, he would have been good for Tim, but I don't think he was – defensively, he was as great as Ben Wallace, as great as Rasheed Wallace. He was a great defender. Oh, yeah, though. he was great. But I don't think as like – the combination of Ben and Rasheed – I don't think he was as great to really, you know, keep up. And not to mention, you know, the guard player, uh, uh, Detroit, Chauncey Billups, 
Rip Hamilton. I don't think Indiana, you know, Reggie Miller, he was great, but defensively, they, their backcourt. I mean, they went to seven the year before, I believe, or six. Six. It was six. A, it was six. I think, you know, Detroit just had one through five great defenders that was able to, you know, make Tony work, make Manu work, make Tim Duncan work. I think Ron Artest would have made Manu work, you know, Tim Duncan, he Jermaine O'Neal would have made Tim work, but I think Tony Parker would have probably had a field or Reggie or whoever. I think Jamal Tinsley was the Jamal point guard. Tinsley. He would have had a field day on those two guys. Now, does the score of the game impact your thought process at all? Indiana smacked them, ninety-seven, eighty-two. No, okay, okay. No, I'm just wondering. No, I, I use nah, mm-hmm. no. Okay, so for me, this is tough because I definitely think that the penalties were too harsh. You know, this guy obviously was egged on by, by a heckling fan who was not involved in the situation at all, and he's the one that made it erupt into what it ended up being. And ironically, when the drink's thrown and Ron charges the, the stands, he doesn't even go and, and get the guy that actually threw the drink, and, and, and he's out there skating free for, for God knows how long. But regardless of that, you look at the fact that Artest actually did go into the stands. Now, there's a certain type of way that you're in the NBA, you need to to hold yourself. Listen, you know in the NBA that there are going to be fans that are going to be cutthroat, 100% about that. Especially Detroit. Especially Detroit that has been a place that has been brutal for for as long as it's been around, especially the Pals. Did they knock it down after that? The Palace of the Auburn Hills. Yes, it's. I know I it's gone it was, now. Not right after. I'm not sure if it it's was right not after right or. after. Mm-hmm. But it, it was. I think it was after Chauncey left. The history of that building itself is just a really tough place to play in. And you look at what happened to Ron Artest. Ron Artest took himself out of the equation. Ron Artest put himself on the scoreboard, tried to meditate to get himself at peace because Ben Wallace was the one that started the fight. Then this fan goes and throws the drink at him. 2017. In, 2017. That's when he closes it down. So that was a decent while after. So, but now when they stopped playing there, I don't believe September. September what? Twenty twenty-seven. They stopped playing there. Hold the one. Mm-hmm. So, regardless of that, so now Ron's trying to take himself out of this, but where he messes up is when he goes into the stands. You can't do that. Is do I think he should have been suspended? Yes. Do I think it should have been for a full season? Absolutely not. Because then by doing that. You're allowing fans to continue for years on end, which has already been happening, which, which we're seeing in today's NBA, for them to continue heckling these players. And we're not protecting these players at all. But of recent, for sure, we definitely have been more mindful of our players. We're banning fans for, from coming to the arenas for life, which I definitely think is a good idea. But, but this one fan who started the whole incident kind of got away scot-free. And, and the NBA completely took the blame and put that on the players. But again... Artest went into the stands. Steven Jackson went into the stands. And as you mentioned, Steven Jackson did what any other normal human being should do. Back up his man. Simple as that. He did what he had to do. Jermaine O'Neal, same thing. Jermaine O'Neal had a chair thrown at him. At a certain point, it's self-defense. It's getting to a point where fans are throwing drinks. Fans are throwing popcorn. Fans are throwing whatever they can have access to. The NBA completely smacked these players in the face by giving them these lengthy suspensions. Do I think they deserve the suspensions? Yes. We've seen players get suspended for getting into a regular fist fight on the court, let alone going into the stands and getting into a fight with, with fans who, 
obviously are in less physical condition than these pro athletes. Our test is probably stronger than every single fan in that building. Same with Steven Jackson. Same with Jermaine O'Neal. It's they have a clear physical advantage over these guys. It's it was no no surprise that when this dude came onto the court and tried to to size up Ron Artest, that Ron Artest put him down. It it, it was it should have been no surprise that that was going to happen. But these fans were the ones that really started to to bring out the worst in these Pacers, and it gave the Pacers a bad look and it ruined their season. Could they have won the championship? Maybe. They definitely had the roster to do it. They definitely had had good chemistry around them. Ron Artest was was an unbelievable player. Jermaine O'Neal was averaging twenty four that season. He, he was un, he was amazing. Stephen Jackson was that missing piece that really glued them together, and they handled the 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 soon to be champions that season. So it's definitely possible they could have won the championship. But obviously, you hand out these suspensions, it ruined that. It ruined their entire mojo, and the rest is history. And it's it's unfortunate the way it happened. But I do believe that it, it's a tough situation. But in the grand scheme of things, the suspensions were way too long. April tenth, twenty seventeen. Okay. September I, was the concert. The end of the concert. I think the fan insinuated the riot by throwing the cup at him, but I do think Ron Artest deserves fault. Oh, Not for, for sure. going up into the stands, but because Jamal Tinsley was the one who, when the game was out of reach already, told Artest, you can get your foul now. True. Ben Wallace, Ron Artest, fouled Ben Wallace hard. And that's what started this, this entire situation. So had our, you know, let's be honest, Artest has some problems. Oh, yeah, that's clear. You know, he has, and mental, you know, I hope um, he's definitely. he's been getting through them, but... He's admitted to it. He has mental problems. He has anxiety. He's bipolar. He's admitted it. And I'm, I'm glad that he's getting the help that he needs right now. At the time, we know that there was a stigma around mental health. There's not as open of a conversation now as there was back then. Now, it's normal to talk about it. Back then, it wasn't. You were looked at as less of a man if you talked about it. If you were a man and you talked about those type of things. But Ron Artest was not totally up here, right? So he got the fell. When you didn't need to do anything, you were already going to win the game. And also, I think Rick Carlisle deserves some blame because he left the players in the game even though the game was out of reach. But that happens all the time all across yep. the league. I think that's what started the entire the, the, the brawl. That's a good point. But the fan threw the cup. And Ron Artest also, after he got into that altercation with Ben Wallace, he went to the scorer's table. Was he somebody that... Wasn't looking for any trouble. He was not. He was laying down like he was on a couch at home. Uh, he was he was showing signs of disrespect. He meant for that to be taken in a disrespectful way. Yeah, you think so? You know, I do think so. Okay. I think that is what led the fan to throw that cup. Is the fan justified? Absolutely not. But I believe that's why a fan that is drunk, that is at the stadium drunk, that is at the arena is like, okay, this guy is out of line. I'm going to throw this cup now. And then Artest obviously went into the stands. My problem with the punishment is that at the time, we have to throw in context to how the NBA was viewed. Allen Iverson was the face of the NBA. He was wearing chains. He was wearing baggy clothing. He was talking in slang. He was listening to hip hop. He was showing his roots, showing where he's from. The NBA had a, a, a image of being too hip, being too... Let's just call it what it is, being too black. 
That's they had an image of that. And the media destroyed the NBA for that said image. Back then, the media was completely racially insensitive. And because of this brawl, it gave the media more firepower to say, this is what hip hop does. This is what these baggy clothes does. This is a bad example for our children. You see what hip hop is doing to our urban communities and to these teams. These players aren't professionals. They're thugs. That word thug we know has racial connotations to it. Had those been hockey players, have those been white players, the word thug would have not been used. Not at but all. because they were black players, the word thug was used. And everybody in the media viewed those players in that light. David Stern had to make a business decision at that point. And that's where I feel like it goes into a deeper conversation with morality versus practicality, right? Because if David Stern was a moral guy, he would have waited for the detectives to, you know, find out what's up. He would have waited to make a full on decision. But because he was thinking of a practical sense, how can I save the NBA dollars? Well, my league right now has this bad image over it. These players have only insinuated this said image in order to make this go away. I have to suspend these players. I have to give them a crucial punishment because to tell the truth, the first person to get punished is always the one that gets punished the harshest. Mm -hmm. He had to make these, he had to set an example and that's what he did with these players. And that's when he also insinuated a dress code. You can't wear baggy clothes anymore. You can't be hip hop anymore. You have to come in dressed casually, dressed nice. He basically whitewashed the NBA without having white players coming to the NBA. That's what he basically did. And I think he put the business of the NBA first rather than being moral. And you could say it saved the NBA to a certain extent because the image of the NBA now, we know it's much more of a family-friendly environment. We have kids now that, you know, like are nine watching the NBA Mm -hmm. that have Twitter accounts with their favorite players on it, you know, so... It definitely saved the league in that sense, but I was disappointed in, in how David Stern handled it because, like you said, he smacked the players in the face with that punishment. He blamed the players, and that also leads to another deeper conversation. In when is it going too far for a fan? You know, I, I mentioned I mentioned this to you before the show. Yep. When fans go to games, they are adults that get to act like children for a couple hours. I'll buy a ticket. I can say what I want. I can do what I want. I can heckle these players and not expect punishment. And think about it. Back then, much less of a woke time than now. You can get away with so much back then. Now, you think about it more. You can go viral. Somebody can record you. There are a lot of things to think about. But even now, people don't care. You know, the Kyrie Irving incident, what that Utah Jazz fan said to Russell Westbrook. There have been these type of incidents. So when is it too far for a fan? When, when are fans going too far? I definitely think in this situation, fans went too far and more of the blame should go on the fans. I don't like how David Stern handled it, but I can understand it from the business perspective. But from a morality perspective, he was definitely in the wrong, but it's always the first person who bites the biggest bullet because you were the first one to do something. Now I have to make an example of you because for, for example, like NFL, Ray Rice, that situation, never played in the NFL again. We have had players since Ray Rice 
get into domestic assault lawsuits on camera. Yes, they haven't got banned from the NFL. The first guy is usually one, the one that bites the hardest bullet, and that was Ray Rice for the NFL. And I think it was this time it was the Indiana Pacers for the NBA, mm. and they had to change the image of the league, and it started with these guys. But I do think they would have won the championship that year. Mm. Yeah, San Antonio. San Antonio's too good, man. I don't know. They would have beat San Antonio. Who would have handled Ron Artest? Who would have handled Stephen Jackson? Bruce Brown. Bruce Ooh. Bowen, pardon me. Mm-hmm. So what do you guys think, though? Where do you guys think you draw the line? I mean, from a, but like we, we say it's morally wrong. In what but sense do you mean? I'm sorry. Draw the line for fans. What, oh, is, okay. what is going too far? What is Don't just wanna, right? I mean, people throw drinks now till this day. I remember uh, Westbrook, when he was in um, Utah, they was throwing popcorn and drinks at him one time. We so, saw Trey Young these past playoffs. Yeah, so it's like, I just feel like it's just because it's Ron Artest and what he was going through. I don't think any other play, and not to mention there wasn't much security on the court at the time. You know, with Westbrook, they did it to him. He was around about five, six security guards who stopped him from being able to go That's up a there. Fact. That's a with fact. With Ron Artest, you know, he was kind of laying there by himself. There wasn't, like there they was said no in the video, security. there was no cops. Yeah. There was like two cops there. It wasn't much security. I think now with the security we have throughout the arena there isn't really going to happen but at the same time you got to respect players i understand they may have beaten your team or they didn't something but throwing stuff at them you're kind of disrespecting them as a character because you wouldn't do that in the street if it's just y'all too so i think that's where the, you draw the, the media line. has a lot to do with this and their inherent bias and it happens today not in situations that we've seen back then but for example Let's just say Kawhi Leonard. I'm just going to use him as an example. This past playoffs, he was dealing with an injury. Or just use any player that deals with an injury. If they play bad in the playoffs, but they're hurt, the first thing these radio personalities will say is... Oh, you could have used Harden. Not that. Oh, I mean, I could have. But the first thing these radio personalities would say is, he played bad. He's this. He's that. This is why he can't lead a team. And they will never mention that to be fair, he was hurt. Sounds like you. <laughs> no, doesn't. You talking about the LeBron thing? Sounds like you. LeBron wasn't well, hurt. He was coming back from an injury. It's different. Well, didn't you call Dennis Schroeder trash and he just had COVID? <laughs> he is trash. No, he got $5 million. If it wow. wasn't trash, someone would have given him bread. knock his money? It's like, bro went from 80, what is it, 85, 94? Something. Cost well, you're an idiot for Give oh, him that. No, no doubt. But who's re- who's big, who's the bigger idiot, us or him? Fair point. Thank you. Go ahead, though. I mean, you thought LeBron was going to you, you thought LeBron was going to be Cleveland LeBron. You did. Keep it, honey. You definitely did. My God, in the playoffs. No, sue me, sue me, guys, for thinking that my favorite player was going to play well. Bias. Sue me. Yeah. No duh. But then he plays bad. All oh, it's because his ankle. Okay. So this <laughs> he didn't I'm play saying. bad. Okay. He didn't play like below LeBron. Season, below season averages. Yeah. Season averages? Goats yeah, get high standards. 25 you know points that. per game. No, you know that. Trash. Goats get high he played standards. 20, he averaged 23. No, it was 25. In no, playoffs. we're talking about the playoffs. Yeah. Goats said get more high season. standards. You said season. So I'm no, just... no, I said it was below a season average in the playoffs. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. For sure. So yeah. I'm saying the first thing that these media personalities will say is, this is why he can't do this and they'll ignore all this other context. And that's the same thing that happened here, right? Yeah. Because a lot of these guys, especially like the Fox News guys, were like, they already... We're painting the NBA in this light. So obviously this situation insinuated what they already felt even more. They had even more of a reason to double down on their opinion. Yep. They didn't mention the fans being crazy and be, it being a Friday night and a lot of them being drunk. They didn't mention the craziness of the fans. 
they only mentioned the players and how bad of an example they are. And I think that wasn't just Fox. That was everybody because league-wide, every single outlet, they were saying the same exact thing in different ways. I think a lot of that has to do with it as well. And you got to think about it. At that time, not having social media, there is no outside influence other than Mm. mainstream media influencing your opinion. Yep. On social media now, we can watch a Skip Bayless or Nick Wright segment and go to social media and say, these guys are dumb. Back then, you don't have that outlet. You can probably say it to like two friends, but really, there's no outside influence. You don't have that influence of opinions, of, of differences of opinions. So back then, it was much more of a targeted attack, I guess, on these guys' character. Yep. Talking about the Detroit Pistons and Indiana Pacers scuffle, Let's talk about a hypothetical. Carmelo Anthony was on was on the All the Smoke podcast and said that the, the Pistons promised to draft him. Larry Brown said it. Rip Hamilton told Melo, I think we're going to draft you, man. Then they ended up drafting Darko Milicic. That's cold, man. And the hypothetical is, how would we view Carmelo Anthony today among the all-time greats if he were to get drafted by the Detroit, the Detroit Pistons in 2003? Well, that's a that's a that's a great question. You know, considering the fact of how I view Melo now, you know, I think, well, for starters, Detroit. You know, I'm a Syracuse fan, so I know all about Melo, and I don't know. He, he I think he lost one home game that whole season in the regular season, and then he didn't. You know, he obviously went on, went to the national tournament, won the whole thing. Our team wasn't that good, so you know, I don't know how you watched Melo like that and you didn't pick him for like, real, and you decided on Darko Milicic. It was very weird to me. Um, but I, I think we would have viewed him in a D Wade light. You know, I think we would have definitely viewed him as one of those guys. You know, very good I, comparison. I, I really think if he would have went to Detroit, they would have won a couple championships. You know, definitely at least two. You know, they they had one without him, so I think they would have definitely won two. But you know, just plugging somebody in like that, you got to think: Would Melo have bought in? You know, how would they? You know, would he have bought into their system? Would they still have been able to got Rasheed Wallace, who was a huge contributor? For the for the championship, you know, it's it's well at least for their run. So you know, I think, but I think definitely, you know, Melo, we would have viewed him a little differently because right now, what people viewed him was was a guy who didn't want to win, only cared about his money, shot chucker, doesn't play defense, doesn't pass the ball, you can't win with him on your team. I think with Detroit, you'd have definitely knocked off a lot of those narratives. Definitely not a winner. Well, I don't know how the narrative became of him not being a winner as a championship at NCAA, but. Detroit would have definitely knocked off a couple of those narratives, and I think he would have definitely been looked at in a D-Wade light instead of being looked at under D-Wade, under LeBron in that draft class. Do you think D-Wade's a top 20 all-time player? No. Okay. No, peak too short. Okay. Okay. So I think as great as Melo was during all his peak years, because obviously he's still playing now, on my Lakers, we're about to make this run. Regardless, I digress. His peak years, he was unbelievable. As amazing as he was, you still look at Carmelo and you think, doesn't have a championship. He gets he gets drafted in 2003 by the Nuggets. The difference between that Nuggets team and that Pistons team is that the Pistons were obviously in win-now mode. The season prior, they had just been the number two seed in the East. 2003, they were the number two seed in the East. 2004, they were number one seed in the East. So they were obviously already a really solid, really great team. Now you look at Denver, complete opposite. They were not good. 
Melo came. He he came and changed the culture. Melo was the one that really got the the Nuggets moving in the direction towards becoming a playoff playoff basketball team. Now, you think you take Melo and you put him on on that Detroit team. Who knows how his mentality is? Because how people perceive Melo now, or how you know how they perceived him during his time in Denver and his time in New York, was that. Oh, you know, he only cares if he plays good. It doesn't matter if if they lose by twenty. If Melo had thirty, he was going, "Hey, good game, guys. Yeah, we we'll get him. We'll get him next game." But if you know his team wins and he shot three for fourteen, it's not that same enthusiasm that he had when he dropped thirty and they got smoked. Now, who knows how his mentality would have been had he been on a winning team from jump? If he was on a winning team from jump, who knows if he would have been the you know, okay, you know what? I, I'm i so fixated on winning. I've been so accustomed to winning my whole life. I need to do whatever it takes to, to win basketball games. Who knows how he would have been for years to come if he would have just been totally a team player as opposed to just being the Can me. I ask you a question? Let's hear it. <clears throat> the Denver mm-hmm. lost in the first round. Mm-hmm. Damn. A lost lot. in the first a round. Lot. A lot he made it to the, he made it to the conference finals once with Chauncey. Yes. It wasn't with AI. People yep. confused that. I don't know why. It was mm-hmm. with the Chauncey Billups. Yep. He comes in, brings that Detroit winning mentality, shows Melo. I guess what tried to show Melo, they go to the WCF, they lose. Obviously, do you think because he he got a taste of that? You know what I'm sure. saying? He got a taste of it. He got Chauncey there, and nothing really seemed to change mm-hmm. after that. You do you think? Chauncey being the glue to the Detroit Pistons, being that guy, being that leader that they talked about, and Chauncey speaking about Melo a lot and saying he is a bit selfish, he only cares about himself. Do you honestly think Detroit would have changed that, being at the fact that he got a taste of that with Chauncey? It went to the WCF, and nothing really changed. Chauncey said that? He did yeah. say that. What year was it? After AI, yeah, so 08, 09. They played the Lakers. So this is around five, six years already into Melo's career. It's tough to say because he had just won the Natty. A young pup, freshman, won the Natty, was unbelievable. Who knows how his his attitude would have been going in day one to, to Detroit, mm. especially with all these guys who are defensive-minded. Melo was never a defensive-minded. Melo was the offensive kind of guy. It, it That's a really good question. It's tough to say. But I feel like if, an, if it was immediate into his career, like, hey, we're not going to tolerate this. You, yeah, need, you well, need to play a certain way. Maybe I can see that it, it, it's a possibility that he could have had his mindset changed. But year five, year six, at that point in time, you're, you're still kind of immature. You're still growing as a player. And he was already accustomed to being the mellow that everyone has seen him or sees him today. Mm. The, the, listen... I only care about how I play. You know, the team comes second in a sense, and I, I don't. I don't think that that's the right mentality, and that's the reason why he's not a, a a champion yet. But you you put him on the Pistons, he gets a ring. Who knows how his 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 attitude towards basketball goes? I would love to hear the context behind that Chauncey quote. If Carmelo Anthony would have gotten drafted by the Pistons, mm-hmm. he is viewed as a top twenty player of all time. As crazy as that sounds, it's true. Over Wade? When you absolutely, there's no doubt about Dude, it. He was crazy. When you look, yeah, let's get into it. When let's you into look at the it. Pistons, <clears throat> they were going to the Eastern Conference Finals Every, year in yeah. and year out. 
the year Melo was drafted in 03, the Pistons won the championship that season. I had the same thought as you, Riv. I said, would, would they have gotten Rasheed Wallace if they, if they, got, if they drafted Melo? Yes, mm. they would have. Because the trade for Rasheed Wallace was that they gave away Chucky Atkins, mm. Bob Sura, Zedchko Zabraka, and two first-round picks for Rasheed Wallace. All these guys averaged a combined 13 points per game that they, that they gave away for Rasheed Wallace. They would have still gotten Rasheed. Their lineup would have been Billups, Hamilton, Mello, Prince, Wallace, Rasheed Wallace. I mean... This would have been insane. Carmelo been Anthony, in his rookie season, averaged 20 points, six rebounds, and three assists. He averaged more points in his rookie season than any player on the Pistons average for that season. And that's, that's a good point. Continue. That same year, they beat the Lakers 4-1. With Melo, they still beat the Lakers. There's no doubt about it. <clears throat> that means at age 19, Carmelo Anthony is an NBA champion coming off of a national champion. The very next year, they lose in seven to San Antonio. If they would have had Melo in that series, that series was a very offensive limited offensive limited series. If the Pistons had Melo in that series, they beat the Spurs. That means at age 20, Carmelo Anthony is a two-time NBA champion. Right now, who is the current player that we're praising for having two championships at age 26? Giannis. People are putting Giannis in the top five power forward conversation list because he has that has those two championships. If Melo would have had those two chips at the age of 20, we are looking at him as a top 20 player of all time. And then you look at this these other these other years. 05-06, Pistons won 64 games. They lost 2-4 in the ECF to Miami. The, the year D Wade won the championship. 06-07, they won 53 games. Lost 2-4 to Cleveland in the ECF. Mm. The year LeBron got smoked by the Spurs in the finals. D-Wade and LeBron beat him back. Wow. 07-08. The Pistons won 59 games and lost 2-4 to Boston in the ECF. The big three. Carmelo at this time was 23 years old. That means from the time Carmelo got drafted to 2008. So from 2003 to 2008, the Pistons were either in the finals or in the Eastern Conference finals every single year. Melo at least has two championships and it's not crazy to say they have he has three championships and this would all be before the age of 23 years old that resume is top 20 worthy and by 23 he was averaging 26 per game so if if you talk he wasn't going to get 26 on Detroit you don't know that I think he would have because Detroit played a team style of moving the ball he wasn't going to get 20. He was getting 20 for he sure. He was going to get 20. Offense was still... Like, is it, they did that because they didn't have a type of player that could do what Melo could do. That is a fair point. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll ask you this. Is it crazy to say that within all these seasons that the Pistons were winning 50 games, 59 games, 60 games, Carmelo could have won an MVP as well? Yes. If he... If he no, wait, wait. That is crazy to say. You think Whoa. he, you think he, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have won have an MVP? had the numbers to win an MVP. That's what I would say. He would he wouldn't have had the numbers. Steve Nash won an MVP during his time period. I understand. Steve Nash averaged a double double. He was missing four out of five of his key starters for. You most don't think Melo could have won an MVP over Steve Nash? If Kobe averaged thirty five and didn't win it, wasn't a high enough seed. LeBron was. If the Pistons were Le- the number LeBron one seed was. in the East and Carmelo averaged 25, 24, 25, he could have won MVP. You think he would have averaged twenty five with Chauncey Rip. He averaged that with AI. Tayshon, they would have it was deferred, just him and AI, though. They would have deferred to Melo. They was deferred already. 
It was Chauncey was gonna get his eighteen. Mm-hmm. Rip was gonna get his eighteen. They like Tayshawn was gonna get his fifteen, sixteen. Tayshawn is gonna take the biggest offensive hit. He doesn't need to be that yeah, that much true. of a scorer. <clears throat> ben Wallace doesn't either because they were so huge defensively. So I'm saying before the age at twenty three years old, Carmelo could be a two time or three time champion with an MVP with these all star yeah. appearances. We're looking at him as a top twenty player of all time, and it wouldn't know, be crazy to say it's diff- it's he could be in a top fifteen. It's different player. for Giannis because Giannis won a ring. He has he's a back to back MVP. He won TBOY. He has a bunch of All NBA first teams and second team. That's why I can't. Melo had would have would have had just as much All NBA first teams. We don't know that because LeBron he didn't have him at the moment. You know why? You don't know. You want to know why? Because why? Giannis it took him until his third fourth season to be yeah. that player. Melo was that at nineteen. You got it's different though because. Giannis was putting with statistical dominance was the reason why he's Giannis was a five time All NBA. He's a five time All NBA guy right now. Yeah, Melo could have been a four time All NBA guy by the by two thousand eight. Five time. He was at already 20, at twenty three years old. What was he? How many? How many All NBA teams he got? Let me see. I'm that. not even sure, but that that's why I'm saying Carmelo Anthony. He's six time All NBA. Six Car- time All. What year? First team All NBA or just All NBA? It says six time All NBA. So he's just All NBA. Ah, uh, that doesn't seem right. I'm on basketball he, reference. I'm pretty oh six oh seven. He made an All NBA team, third team. He's averaging twenty nine points a game. What makes you think he was going to go up that? If he Wait, what put, season? Oh six oh seven. Carmelo made All NBA third team. Or maybe might be second. Maybe his only yeah. Second Melo round. made six All NBA teams. Yeah, yeah. That's that's crazy. And he was zero All NBA first teams. That's zero, ridiculous. that's what I'm saying. Zero. Who was in the Western Conference at the time? That's a good ass. question. That, that was the small forward at the time. It wasn't LeBron. No. No. But no, it doesn't matter. It's an all NBA team. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't make LeBron, it over LeBron then. He's not going to make it over LeBron. Yeah. He's never going to yeah, make no it way. over. And now maybe, maybe Pierce got one over him. That's that's true. He could have had one over him too. Car- I, I'm surprised by this. You didn't know that? I'm surprised. Okay. But in 2006, Melo averaged 29 per game. And what, what team you made? Third team is mad disrespectful. That's what I'm saying. He was, I'm, I'm saying by, by Melo's third but, year, he was averaging 20, 26. But he's trying to say if he's on a winning team already, that's the number one, I don't number think two he would, seed. I, th- I don't think he would just put up the 29, the 28. But do you think the winning would have been enough? I to win so. MVP, it's, I think, yeah. Yes. Who won? Who won and, um, you said Steve Nash won back-to-back years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. It's, it, pos- it's, definitely, it's definitely possible, possible. Yeah, it's for possible. sure. That's why when I started my statement, I said, "Do you think D Wade's a top twenty player?" Because D Wade, I, I, I think D Wade is better than Melo. Oh, like, he is. He I, is. I think so too. From I 03 so too. to 08, it was Duncan, Garnett, Nash, Nash, Nowitzki, Kobe. So he probably could have got the Nash ones. He wasn't getting the Dirk and KG yeah, no, ones. No. Probably one of the Nash ones though. But I'm saying by age 23, Melo could have been an MVP, yep. had All Stars, mm-hmm. All NBAs, two championships. We are talking about him as a top 15 player of all time. Look at the top way they, 20. Top 15 is crazy. Top 20. Top 20. Top 20. Look at the way I don't know they talk he, about Mahomes. At doing what he's doing at such a young age. It would have been the exact same I don't know if he would have beat the Spurs. I don't know. I'm not going to say yes or no. It went, it seven. Was, it went seven. It was a dog fight. And that, that series, nobody could get any offense going. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, Melo could definitely, given 20 sure. points any given night, he could have been know, that guy. I don't know, because they had a guy to guard Melo. So. Okay, now you have Rip Free. That is true. Rip, you have Rip was free. free. Uh, that's why I say I don't know if they would. They definitely would be. Be real. Is, they would be LA. Anyone at that time really guarding Carmelo? Bruce, was there anyone? Bruce Bowen. I think you like. I don't. I think you I don't want to. Go. I don't want to disrespect. Yeah, I think Bruce. You need no, to Bruce go Bowen is, is an all-time great yeah. defender. But at the same time, in history, have we known anyone to really lock Carmelo? Nah, you can't. But 
Also, at that time, Melo wasn't a good three-point shooter. That's true. That would have affected him. He would have had to see what? Ron Artest and then Bruce Bowen in back-to-back series? That would have been tough. That would have been tough. I think he would have did it, though. He would have did his thing. tough. I don't know. Ron, then Bruce? Carmelo Carmelo was more of a power forward, honestly. Mm. More of a power forward than a small forward. He plays bully ball. It's like you just got to think. Detroit (laughs) did all this with wasting the number two overall pick. That's because yeah. Even if they got the D Wade, they D Wade would be Bosh would have been and like bro, anyone but Darko, that team would have just been as good as it already was. It would have yeah. been even better. They went with the worst possible option. D Wade might have been a better successful. option. Yeah, he, he plays defense. Mm-hmm. He might have been a better option. Yep. Yeah, Melo probably. Wow, Melo probably would have been like a three time champion. Bro, he been he talked about it on the podcast. He said, "I think about that every day." <laughs> I believe. I, listen, I, I would. Too. I would hundred percent. Literally took he the would words have been right like, out of my mouth. because they went back to back everything. Bro, they talk about Mahomes like he's the greatest thing since sliced bread because of what he's done at this age. They would have been doing yeah. it for Melo, no doubt. It wouldn't even matter what Melo did after that, honestly. No, literally. He could have been irrelevant for, for the rest of his career. All they would remember is. That's what is. D-Wade was, pretty much. Disagree. Yeah, you're crazy. After 2012, <laughs> I agree, though. After 2012, after exactly. 2012, after 2012, his knees died. I don't care. <laughs> it's like his knees legit died. He, <laughs> don't get me started, bro. Get they were they were giving him James Posey and done up Jermaine O'Neal. What do you want him to do? I'm sick. Yeah, right. I'm sick. How was he done up, Jermaine O'Neal? In 2010, he was like a 13 points per game scorer. He was regular. He wasn't the Jermaine. He was old though. He was like 33. Yeah, but he was just like you know, in Indiana he was, and then it was like, what's what year did you say? 08, 09, 09, 010. Oh, yeah, no. He went from, 09, from 08, 13, 09, 13, 2010, 5. Well, like I mentioned, Carmelo could have done nothing after his tenure yeah. in Detroit and still been viewed as a top player. And after Melo's tenure in Denver with the Knicks, he did do nothing. We went to the playoffs twice, but should have came to us. We, we, didn't do, we didn't do anything. He had a lot of his worst years. And interesting enough, I actually found out that Phil Jackson, remember when Scottie Pippen called him racist, mm-hmm. that actually didn't come from thin air. There has actually been reports of Phil Jackson in the past making racially insensitive remarks. He referred to his players as their master. Okay, then. Before. And with the Lakers. But he's been like, it's been known like Zen master. No, no, not Zen. Just I'm your master. Well, if MJ I, didn't complain, and one, one of that's his, what I'm saying. One of his players, I mean, he also said to one of his players that we're not in Crenshaw <laughs> or something like that. Yeah, so that's he, OD. He, that's Phil OD. Jackson has a history of, of making these. Uh, okay. Does um, win shares matter to you guys? Like the stat, win shares? I think it, it, it should. You want to hear something like telling? crazy? PJ, PJ Tucker at least. So you want to hear stats. something that's crazy? Yeah. Melo in his tenure with Denver only tenure. led the team. Sorry, thank you. Only led the team one time in win shares. Who was the first? And uh, it was Andre Miller, Andre Miller, then Melo, then Canby, then Allen, then Chauncey Billups, then Nene, then Nene, then Melo goes. I mean, when when Denver traded Melo, they were still a great team. Really good team. With Danilo, Lawson, Chandler. They got a lot from the Knicks. JaVale McGee. They got got, Jamal Murray from the Knicks. That was our pick. They got yeah, a lot. That was a, that was like a nine ten man rotation like that Denver team without Melo. They were deep, very deep. Very they lost deep. to Steph. <coughs> Sorry, that's all right. I just thought out there. Mm. But yeah, Phil Jackson's tenure with the Knicks was horrible. 
But the Knicks are good now, and that's all that matters. And one Good-ish. of the better one of the better players on the New York Knicks right now is R.J. Barrett. As Riv goes to take a bathroom break, because he R- doesn't want to talk about R.J. Hey, he, he, he hates doesn't know what R.J. he's talking about. Yeah, he, he's he's a uh, he's biased against R.J. He thinks Cam Reddish is better. That's blasphemy. R.J. Barrett, it's definitely bad blasphemy. It's not even it's not even a debate. It's not even close. And the fact that Hawks fans think that. RJ versus DeAndre Hunter's a debate is also blasphemous because RJ is better than Hunter. But RJ Barrett, I believe, is one of the most disrespected players in the NBA, young players in the NBA. Seth Partnoy of The Athletic recently re- released a tier list for the top 125 NBA players. RJ Barrett was not on the list. The players over him. Alex Caruso, Bruce Brown, Campaign, Danny Green, Gallinari, Davis Bertans, Devontae Graham, Derek White, Gary Trent, Emmanuel Quickly, Jeff Green, Jonathan Isaac, who didn't even play last season, KCP, Kelly Olenek, Kevin Herter, Nerlens Noel, Pat Bev, PJ Washington. And he defended his list by saying that this list is not who's a better player in a vacuum. It's who would I rather have if I want to be a title contending team? Who's more impactful to a team that's trying to win a championship? And even in that case, it's still a dumbass list because RJ Barrett, even though he was bad in the playoffs, he averaged 14, 7, 3, shot 39% from the field and 29% from three. He put Alex Caruso over R.J. Barrett, and Caruso averaged six points, one rebound, not even one assist, shot 37% from the field and 29% from three. Caruso was worse than R.J., significantly worse, and he would put Caruso over R.J. What's blasphemous about this list is that how do you put Emmanuel quickly and Nerlens Noel over R.J.? You just have to watch a game to know that R.J. is better and that's the problem with these analytic nerds, or I would like to call them analytic dummies, because all they do is look at these analytics, but if you watch the game, it's clear as day that R.J. Barrett is better than Quickly or, or Nerlens Noel. It's not even close. The fact that R.J. Barrett has been this disrespected is ridiculous. Being left off a top 125 players list, being left off an all-NBA rookie team in favor of Terrence Davis... In July 2020, being left off the top 10 players under 21 list by Bleacher Report, Cam Reddish, Wendell Carter, Kevin Herter, and P.J. Washington all made it over him. Guys that R.J. is better than right now. April 2021, being left off of ESPN's top 25 under 25 list, Lonzo Ball, Halliburton, John Collins, Mikel Bridges, all over R.J. You can make a debate for some of those guys. I was going to say... But can't Easy. but 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 Halliburton is not better than R.J. Barrett. Really, and now August 2021 being left off the top 125 players list. I don't get it. R.J. Barrett is the most disrespected young player in the NBA, and sitting next to me is the second biggest R.J. Barrett hater, only behind Seth Partnoy in River Brown Jr. I may be a hater, but I wouldn't say 125 players are better than RJ. That's why I said you're the second biggest yeah. RJ Barrett hater. That's um. And you have a brain. That's a that's a lot of players, yo. 
Let me all right. Let me let me start by saying this, bro. You you keep you keep rubbing this. I heard you in the bathroom too. I heard everything you said. You <laughs> heard I heard everything. You keep saying I said Cam was better than RJ. Yes, bro. I said that two years ago. I have not spoken on that take since two years ago, bro. Let that take go. And second of all, you keep talking about you, you need to let that take go. I, I no, have not spoken yeah, about it yeah. at all. Like, and you you tried to say RJ is way better than DeAndre Hunter. That's literally a very strong debate, and I would take Hunter. But Ooh, it's just that's just ridiculous. Me. Oh, that's just oh me. God. Um, but yeah, no, I think this what we what we're we're starting to see is the NBA kind of the media is kind of blackballing RJ Barrett in a really funny way. You know, he's. He's a very young prospect with a lot of potential, you know, all biased aside or anything. He has a lot of potential. He's obviously one of the future cornerstones for the New York Knicks. And 125, I heard the people you were naming it. You said Jeff Green? Yeah, yeah. that was funny. No, um, a lot and of these. Bruce Brown. Yeah, that's funny too. A lot of these guys don't, they, they don't do many things on the court better than RJ Bear. I think 125 people is pretty, pretty bad. I would say maybe like 50, 60 in the NBA. Really? 70 maybe there's there's about i think i keep going that's not disrespect i listen don't look at me crazy it's not disrespectful listen, to i'm not gonna throw you 60 guys no but it'd be a, there's it'd be at least forever. 40 no there's at least 40 all-stars it's in like the NBA, safe so. to say that's yeah, what i get I, what you mean i'm saying the safe number is 60 40 all-stars yeah like you know there's 30 that make the team but there's 40 all-stars All caliber players yeah. okay uh-huh. so I, I i'm gonna say 60 is the and same. rj's one of them no but I'm going to say 60 is the safe, <laughs> safe bet for how many people are better than RJ. You could probably throw more. But I think, you know, like you said, being left off the top 25 list, being left off this list, being knocked off the all rookie team for, what is that, Terrence Davis? You know, I think it's it's very weird that people are doing this. And it's it's funny. It's at a time when New York is starting to get back to that relevancy, getting back to that hype of being one of the best teams in the East. is a very funny way of how they're doing it. You know, and I think, RJ Barrett does deserve a little bit more respect and people do need to start paying attention and stop focusing so much on his flaws and start focusing on what he does good. I think a lot with RJ Barrett, a lot of it is just people focus too much on what he can't do. Like he can't go right. You know, his jump shot is a little streaky at times. Sometimes he does make bad decisions, but I think people need to focus on the positive. Like he's a plus defender. He's very athletic. He's a good finisher at the basket. At times he can be a good shooter. 40% from three. Yeah. So at times he can be a good shooter. Streaky, streaky, streaky. Sorry, don't give me those plans. Yeah. sorry. But you know, people need to do start start. The hundred twenty five is it's crazy. I don't I don't know, but it's crazy. <laughs> Jeff Green, Bruce Brown. Oh my uh, god, bro. RJ Barrett is better than eighty percent of the. They net, said the Zubac Nets. was better than him. Eighty percent of the Nets. Outside of KD, Harden, Harden Kyrie, Kyrie, I really think he's better than everybody. Is Blake? he better than Joe Harris? Is he better yes. than Blake? Yes. Okay. Because people think Joe Harris is better than RJ. People think Joe Harris is Clay Thompson, and it's very, very weird to me. People think that that's RJ too. Clay Thompson? No, they Clay. think that he's amazing, though. No, he is RJ amazing. is really good. Uh-huh. I, don't, like, I don't know what. I, I yeah, I bash him because he's, he's good. He's really funny. good. He's really no, good. He's, no, he's really there. good. He can get there. He can no, he's get a really there. good player right now. He As, just can't go right. It's funny. And he's also in, going into year three, so the criticism of him is very. I mean, he's harsh. improved. That's why better I can't than most comprehend. rookies. I can't like I like to joke about RJ. Obviously, like any other it's human funny. being, of course. Especially seeing your face reactions, it's funny. You would say, like, <laughs> "Don't give me that playoff stuff, man." <laughs> like it's funny, but being a realist, it's egregious to not have him on this list. You mentioned it. I love Caruso. He's not better than RJ from a statistical standpoint. If you look at the top five players that were drafted in RJ's class, yeah. 
outside of Zion, you can make a case that RJ has ja? improved statistically. He's the third best player in the draft. Yeah, I'm saying statistically, though, RJ has made a better improvement than Ja. Ja's numbers are kind of similar than what it was his rookie year. But RJ Barrett has improved last year and in every statistic. Yeah, and uh, as you can see, based off his work ethic and who he's playing with and his coaching, yeah. who's coaching him, he's definitely going to improve no, but that's right. every year. It's, so it's, He went it's, from 14 to 19 it's points. No, 17.7. Seventeen point six, actually forty percent from the three. We used to destroy him his rookie year because his jump shot was horrible. And so, I told you he was going to work, man. It's very weird it's that about him that he's a grinder. It's very weird that they named one hundred and twenty five guys. What was his excuse? What excuse for why he named all those guys? The list is based off mm-hmm. of what player can contribute to a championship more. And Jeff Green, okay, no, bro, quickly and Nerlens Noel over Rick, him quickly is what makes okay. this list unreadable. Like, I can't believe people actually gave this guy credibility. How do you feel? I mean, I oh, no, it. he went crazy. Yeah, it. you weren't in the bathroom, but, bro. But maybe he can't go right as much as you would like him to go, but he's still going to prove you wrong. And R.J. Barrett. What's proving me wrong? He's going to average 20 next season. He's going to be a superstar because that's what you, I, I think he's he not going to be. He will develop into one. So he's going to be a superstar. He will at least be Jalen Brown. That's for sure. How do you keep throwing jabs at Jalen Brown? That, and if I said I, his not, ceiling was Harrison Barnes, you'd be offended. I, mean, I think that's I his floor. He already is Harrison Barnes. He's already better than him. Ah, uh, that's not tomato tomatoes. Yes, tomatoes. he is. Nope. Harrison Barnes. You not? Did you not see him go to state? He was like eleven point three score. He's not that no Agreed. more though. No, he's not. He's he's, he's way four, better. Okay, than that. he's fourteen. Yeah, he had that one year in Dallas where he he 20. averaged twenty because he was the only option on the team. Yeah. I think RJ's floor is like a Chris Middleton. R.J. Barrett's biggest knock was his shooting ability. He improved from 32% to 40%. What about those hands? People want to knock. People want to knock the uh, the uh, you let you made me lose my train of thought. Caught him. Caught him. Crazy. You <laughs> didn't catch me. I was just gonna miss him. R.J. Barrett's biggest knock was that he couldn't shoot. He improved his shooting tremendously. Definitely. He shot 40% despite starting the season off missing like 18 straight threes. <laughs> and he still shot 40%. People want to say it's because there's no fans. I don't buy it. It's because he works his butt off. He's a hard worker. He's a, He works as hard as construction worker. This guy gets it done. His handle, that's something he has to improve. You know, he has to improve getting his shot off the dribble. He has to improve in creating his own shot. But he improves every single year. So I think this season... He's going to come to the Knicks and tell Kemba, look, I know you were the guy that came here to be our point guard, but I'm going to be the guy that's going to be the second scoring option. Okay. He's going to tell Fournier, take the back seat. Go, go take, go take the, uh, what do you call that when you put the, the, the seat for the baby in the back that, you know, to put them. Car up. seat? That's oh, booster called. seat. Booster seat. Mm-hmm. And Fournier, put yourself in the you're booster seat. Him? You're going to. Before oh, me? Oh, because you have a tail. <laughs> <laughs> that's facts. Evan Fournier is going to be in the booster seat because he's going to be only spotting up shooting threes because RJ is going to say, look, I got this. Exactly I'm, I'm the do. guy. I'm the guy. RJ Bear is going to improve his creating ability this upcoming season. There's no doubt. He's going to be a great shooter. He's already a great defender. He had a better defensive field goal percentage than Jimmy Butler, Lugans Dort, Jalen Brown, yep. Miles Turner, Bam out of Bayou, and All Marcus right. Smart. Let's, and this guy, RJ Barrett, is going to be an elite two-way guy. This, this what I'm saying, man, is that R.J. Barrett improves every single year. He is the most disrespected young player. But you, you want to know what I think it really is? It's two things. Huh. His game. It's not the smoothest. It's not. It's not buttery smooth. You know, you, you got to have a feel for it. You know. You think it's Kawhi like? It's very stiff. But there's a reason they called him the Maple Mamba because his game is not the smoothest. It's kind of hard, like a snake. 
That's why they call him the Maple Mamba. RJ Barrett's game, even though it's not the smoothest, he gets it done. Second, the Knicks haven't been on national television. In RJ Barrett's big games, his big games haven't been on national TV. We had seven national TV games last year, and I don't even think most of them were on TNT or, or ESPN. They were like on NBA TV. Mm-hmm. The Knicks have 27 this year. Mm, there we go. One third of our games, I think, no, one about one fourth of our games are on national television, more than one fourth of our games. That means that RJ Barrett is going to put the whole world on storm when they're, when they're watching national television. Wow, I didn't know RJ Barrett was this good. Mm-hmm. Is this, oh my God, RJ, I can't believe it. And then RJ Barrett after this year is going to get more respect. And we're going to put him in, in a category that only is reserved for the elites of the elites of young players. And RJ Barrett's going to be in that category. He needs to um, work on his mid-range too. It's pretty garbage. Thirty-one <laughs> percent. Looking at it, looking at it right now. <laughs> Lonzo's at twenty-seven percent. Yeah, he's, yeah. <laughs> Need to work on it too. It's kind of garbage, but yeah. This other than that, though. but after this season, having all these national TV games, mm-hmm. RJ Barrett's going to put the whole world on notice. He's going to have Mark Jackson saying, "With all due respect, this guy is win. Mm. He spells win, Mama." He's going to say, with all due respect, R.J. Barrett is the real deal. Mm. That's what's going to happen after this season. That's interesting that you really believe that. And so, this debate between DeAndre Hunter and R.J. ends after this season. I hope you know that. Why do you think that? Because the Knicks are going to, not only is he going to be a far better player statistically than Hunter, but he's also going to beat the Hawks. Oh, he's going to beat the Hawks. Yeah, our team is going to beat the Hawks. That's We're going to get revenge on them. Um, so that, that debate ends after this season. What if Hunter plays good too, though? Oh, he could play good, but not good, not as good as RJ. That's for sure. Oh, let's 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 see real quick. Talking about Knicks and Hawks. I'll be honest, DeAndre Hunter to RJ, it's very similar. Nah, RJ's better. He is better. RJ's I, better. I, I was getting I was Crazy. getting afraid you were about to say no, something else. RJ's better than he is. He is figure? better. He's be- he's defensively, it's not too much of a difference. I taking RJ offensively. RJ has more opportunity to score, but even still, he's, he's his percentages aren't bad. Hunter where make, I can think, Hunter's one's at eighteen, with, one's at fifteen. Agreed, but that's one's what I'm saying. RJ has Young. more opportunity. Exactly, that's what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, one is playing with Trey Young. Exactly, that's a good exactly. thing. Exactly, that's gonna be good and bad though, because he gets it's less more opportunity. Good thing. But it is more of a good thing. They're both probably the same defender. You know how many easy shots Trey Young creates for other guys? Hundred percent. It's not like Julius Randle's creating space for RJ. He is, but not like not Trey. Like Trey. That's what I mean. Not like Trey. Absolutely not. Talking about the Knicks versus the Hawks. And that's the percentages, Hunter dude. Hunter beats him in every advanced category. God, God. Oh, God. <laughs> Analytics, right? Analytics dummy. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. We've seen him in the playoffs, and Hunter on a bad, a bad injury and all looks better. Like, no, R- RJ looked so bad in the playoffs. Like that's where it's hard to. <laughs> he had a them. good game. Yeah, twenty one. I'm <laughs> glad you said a uh, good game because you're right. He definitely had a. I'm good just game. saying. Okay, RJ is not going to do that again. Trust me, man. Trust me. Because you were saying the primetime games. Now he's finally got him. We finally saw him in primetime. He was in primetime, and that's exactly why people's perception of RJ has yeah, changed. For sure, because thirty six of the same guy. Yeah. No, I'm saying that's exactly why RJ's perception is what it is because. In the playoffs is the only time people got <laughs> to me. see Sorry. RJ. People only got to see RJ in the playoffs. Weird and matters. that's why 
they had like, oh, RJ, he choked and all this, all that. But now that they're seeing him play in the regular season a bunch of games, the narrative is going to change. Talking about the the Knicks versus the Hawks, that's one of the Christmas game matchups. The Christmas game schedules are schedule is Hawks versus Knicks, Celtics versus Bucks, Warriors versus Suns, Nets versus Lakers, and Mavericks versus Jazz. Tasty. No heat. Which one are you most excited for? I'll start with you. I'm excited for the Garden game, of course. Hawks. Nice. Versus, okay. Real. You know, I'm excited. Yeah, you know, I'm definitely. Sure. I want to see Trey Young back in there. Hunter Cam versus you know in MSG, right? Definitely. Yeah, it is. Mister Mister No Hand Right, and then um, Julius Randle, of course, the lefty guys. I'm, I'm definitely. I'm very interested to see that My game. Word. Of course, obviously the Lakers and the Nets. You know, I'm. Come on, choose I'm, one. No, I'm choosing both of those games. I'm excited to see both of those games just because wow. you know that's Christmas. We're gonna be in. It's gonna be a couple games in. Two months already into the season. So we're going to kind of have a feel of what these guys are going to be. Hopefully the Nets are healthy, you know, and all those guys are playing. Hopefully Disney World is going to be healthy and he's back to his form. And then Westbrook's playing, you know, LeBron's playing. Hopefully we get those all six of those guys healthy so we can see a fun matchup. But those are the two games I'm definitely looking forward to for sure. It's comical. You you clown (laughs) Anthony Davis, but not Russell Westbrook. Well, Westbrook is going to play hard every day for me. I know that. Disney World, we don't know. He plays GTA all day. And he still drops 28. He's that was like, like that. a minute ago. I, I forgot he did that. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. We're going to pretend. Anthony uh, Disney? Yeah, yeah, Disney World. Street Close. That, I'll be honest. That nickname is very good. Anthony Disney? It's funny. Street Close is rude. I don't like that at all. It's mad rude. That being said, I digress. Come on. Is this a question? Nets Lakers. It's going <laughs> to be a movie. You get KD Kyrie. Against LeBron and Russell, let's not even, because obviously in terms of talent, AD and Harden are in similar tiers of player in terms of top 10 players in the league. You said KD and Harden. Is that what I meant? I meant AD. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. 100%. I meant KD, Kyrie teaming up, obviously, where LeBron and, and Kyrie were together. And then you got KD, who was obviously teammates with Russell. It's just a matchup made in heaven. It's like you can't write a movie script better than that. I can't wait for it because I am just getting flashbacks to when the Lakers played the Warriors on Christmas Day and everyone was saying, oh, Warriors, best team ever. LeBron's on the on the Lakers. He's kind of quitting. He, he's going into his, his, his Hollywood phase. He's just going to be a superstar, you know, movie star. And then we go and we beat them by 30. It was a great day. That's exactly how I'm envisioning this game. You know, everyone's saying that the Nets are the that better That might have been team. the worst day of your life. You know why? Because people yes. really believed y'all were going to win the chip after that. And it was also the worst day because LeBron got hurt and and Lonzo got hurt. It was terrible, and we still won by 30. Oh, I really did think we were going all the way. It's tragic. Idiot. Rega- <clears throat> I am. That being said, now I'm getting flashbacks, and, and, and it's allowing me to, to really feel as if the Nets, Lakers, I'm getting that same feel. I, I, something about the Lakers this season, Russ, LeBron, AD all together. It's going to be poetry in motion and all the hypes on the Nets right now because, you know, they're saying, oh, Harden, you know, when healthy, no one can beat us, you know, but, you know, he's the king of what ifs. <laughs> and, and I look at my Lake show and, and I just see a team that is, Mwah. and that matchup is going to be everything that I expect it to be. A movie. King of what is? How you feel about that? Harden's your guy, you know. 
in the morning. But it's coming from a guy whose team is going to go on a finals loss run, uh, not on a finals run. You might actually lose to the Golden State or the WCF. You know what it means. You're a LeBron fan. Finals loss runs, another That's L. That's common to you. Yeah, you common very to common to you. Yeah, I mean, four championships. What, like six losses? That's a lot okay. of luck, though. Ray Allen hitting that shot. <laughs> Don't be one of those guys. On no, let him talk. No, good, good, because the camera's always watching. What else happened? Um, oh, um... Had Draymond getting suspended, right? Because that was obviously what made the, the series show. go the way that it oh, did. Oh, bubble, the bubble. Yeah. Don't forget the bubble. Oh yeah, those are, that's three championships right there. Mm. The only, the only legitimate one that I will say. It's the Ray Allen shot. Draymond suspension. The bubble. What the hell? The bubble. Whatever. Draymond suspension, bro. The next game, as if Draymond really had that big of an momentum impact. is gone. Draymond was going to win Finals MVP. Win, so don't do that. Two. He was going to win Finals MVP. Regardless of that fact. Yeah. Yeah, he was. He's playing no, way gar- better than no guaranteed. Draymond was MVP. Regardless of that fact, the next game, Kyrie, LeBron, this. 40 apiece. So I don't want to hear it. Momentum was gone. You guys won. Yeah, no, up to no, no, you guys up won. won. You guys won. Momentum was gone. Hey, you guys won. Yeah, no. I'm on sure. your side. The game everyone should be most excited <laughs> for is the Hawks versus Knicks. You know, last year, the Hawks and Knicks were even. You know, huh? we won three games against them in the regular <laughs> season. Huh? Yeah, that's true. It's true. Huh? It's true. Uh, it's okay. true. If Sorry. you count the regular season and the playoffs, it was tied. The Hawks won four games in the playoffs. We won four games overall. One in the playoffs, three in the regular season. We smoked them in the regular season. Didn't 3-0. you beat them when they had Lloyd Pierce, though? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> Nate McMillan, like I mentioned last episode, he's when I said the Hawks were a fluke, was that he, he's more, he's a coach that loses in the first round a lot anyway. So, you okay. know, whatever. So, it's that's going to happen again anymore. this upcoming season. Yeah, but it's going to be the case this upcoming season. Okay. This was going to happen. The Knicks are going to go to the Garden. I'm going to buy tickets. Not sure on what application yet, but I will buy tickets. Hopefully not high seats because I, be I actually want to see it from close up. Going to be with my New York Knicks family. And we're going to cheer on a massacre. Mm. Knicks. Going to massacre the Hawks. <laughs> and I can't wait to see that game. And that's what I'm waiting for on Christmas Day. But I will say this. Even if the Knicks lose that game. <laughs> oh, here we go. I wouldn't be mad oh. because if it, if the Knicks lose in the garden, just, if the Knicks lose, it's just a regular season game. Mm. We'll get them back in the playoffs. If we win, the Hawks better be careful. Look, there it is. A lot, of, a lot is in store for them. You know, if you lose in the garden on Christmas, it's going to be like an uproar. Oof, right? Like, it's going to be a rough Christmas for you, man. It's going to be a very long week oh. for you guys. There's no way that's going to happen okay. because we have Campbell Walker, we have Fournier, we have RJ, we have Randall, we have Mitchell Robinson, who was a really big factor as to why the Hawks beat us in five. Because like I said, it was basically six. Mm-hmm. If we had Mitch, that series goes to seven. Yo, that really might be the dumbest take I've ever heard in my life. It, it really was six? You lost in five games. Stop saying that. Basically six. <laughs> Mitchell Robinson, Mitchell Robinson is a difference maker. But you keep saying we basically oh, lost no, in six. The basically lost in games. six is what makes my stomach hurt. We did basically lose <laughs> six. <laughs> why do you keep adding on a game? Game one should have been the next win. Should have been the next one. Uh, okay. For being honest, basically lost six. Because okay. if Mitch Robinson was there, he blocks Trey Young for sure. You are definitely a king of what ifs. Uh, I'm. I'm just saying. Hey, I'm a king. To... I'm a king of facts. That's a fact. So, what do you guys feel about the other matchups, though? Now, that Bucks Celtics one should be interesting. I honestly, I'm not a fan of the Bucks Celtics one. I feel like their first game last year was fire. I, I feel like these games are are felt like a lot of forced stuff. Bucks, you know, which Celtics? I'm fine with. Suns, Suns, Warriors. You think, is a wait, solid you think the Bucks game. and the Celtics is forced? 
They have a bit of a rivalry. Uh, I want to see a rivalry. I, I would rather see the Heat Bucks. So I'd rather see the Heat Bucks. I agree. Or Heat Boston. Haw- Hawks, Knicks, that's for sure Christmas Day kind of game. Lakers, Nets. Nets, Lakers, we know. Warriors and Suns kind of came out of nowhere. It did. Agreed. Like, yo, why did the Warriors have to face the, face the Suns? I get it. You, well, got, because, you have to have their, Curry on the, Christmas Day. Because the Lakers rival, were playing the Nets. That's why. The Warriors rival. Who is their it rival? Been exactly. LA. If it wasn't, it would have been, been LA. Absolutely. Or the Clippers. but cool. It would have been the Clippers... Last and Christmas, oh no, opening day was Nets versus Warriors. Last Christmas Last was Bucks season. and Warriors. Okay, yeah, that was actually not a good matchup. Yeah, no, they got smoked. Warriors, Suns. Okay, Dallas and Jazz. I would have liked to see Dallas Clippers, but Kawhi is hurt. Yep. So I understand that. I would have liked to see Zion in, in these in this Christmas Day matchup. I know, I know they did it last last Christmas and it was a flop. Yeah, but I think they play Toronto. Yeah. I think this year with with uh, their coaching, I think they're gonna be gonna be much better. But Jazz, you gotta put some respect on their name. They were the number one seed last year. For sure. Or maybe Philly could have been here. I don't know. You know, just a bunch of hypotheticals. I don't I like the the Celtics Bucks because I think the Celtics are definitely gonna be a Jokic solid. isn't here. That's a fact. That's a big one. It's Utah Jamal won't be back by Yeah, Christmas. that's why I think I was gonna say Utah Nuggets would have been a very good game. Utah Nuggets would have been cool. No Portland. Could have been Warriors in Portland. Could have been Nuggets Portland. I think it could have. I think could have been Nuggets. No, no. Portland Warriors, Suns, Jazz. I like that. But you have the thing about it is that you have to have Steph on Christmas. You have to have Luca on. I feel Christmas. like Steph versus Dame would have been a good. Suns matchup. and Jazz aren't box office, mm-hmm. but that would have been nice. You had to respect their seeding and how far they went in the playoffs. They put specifically the, for the Suns. Yeah. So, that was well you know, said. You I'm just surprised that. Miami isn't up there. They put a good team against box office in both Utah versus Luca. And then you said Suns versus Steph Curry. So I get what they were. And they, they have to put Jason Tatum in there over Miami. No doubt. But yeah, I, I'm only really excited for the Knicks Hawks. Who's Nets, first? Let's and Lakers, I am too. It's like, like who's first? Who plays first? Knicks and Hawks. They should have played last. That's, a, That's fold. a night game. No, the last. They the, can't because the Western Conference. The primetime the game Pacific is Lakers time is Nets, different. And then 10 o'clock games, the Mavs and Jazz. It's going to be the best game, man. But that's going to be around the time that people are going to be eating. It's but that's going to get people pumped, right? Yeah, for sure. It's definitely going to Only start the day what off if it gets, the What if fans? it starts the day off and then it just flops from there on? But I think it's, it's all going to be good games. Warriors, Suns, I already am seeing a good game there. Especially with the way that you guys are saying that the Warriors well, are going to be. Well, supposed to be back that day. Man. Really? I don't think he'll be as effective, you know, obviously. And that sucks, though. <laughs> Hawks fans, Christmas is going to be ruined by like 3 o'clock. That's going to be ridiculous. It's uh, funny. Oh, man, you're funny. Hopefully they celebrate Christmas Eve, right? Yeah. That's what I do. Yeah. You know, Knicks are going to win this. I'm, I know that for sure. How much you want to put on it? I'm already spending a lot on the tickets. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know? The tickets are probably going to be like 300 in itself. For sure. And they might hey, be listen, a, you're oh, confident. You know, I'm confident in a lot of things. Cool 20. It's just a regular season game. Cool 20. That's a Christmas game. I will actually bet. Oh, Christmas game. I I forgot. Regular season game, too, though. Yeah, but Christmas is a different vibe. You know, it's like a different whole. uh, You play on Christmas. Not a lot of teams play on Christmas. That's true. The Knicks have to play on Christmas, though, because they're the Knicks. They're from New York. That's a fair point. I actually will bet 20 with you. Yeah, clean 20. Here we go. Don't forget our $200 bet, man. What is that? What is that? The Hawks get eliminated in the first round. That's what it is? Yeah. yeah. Bearing, bearing, bearing. That's spicy. Bearing any injuries, of course. Okay. Okay, so the podcast doesn't know this, but Riv and I made a bet in the group chat. Riv and I made a bet that I believe the Hawks will lose in the first round next season. I made a bet with this man right here, Riv, a $200 bet mm. 
that the Hawks will lose in the first round, barring any injuries. Do you accept? Two he bets. Accepts. Two bets. He accepts. Two bets made in, on a podcast, podcast in less than two minutes. I hope it's a game seven. Too. I'm going to come to your house. I'm going to watch the game. That's going to be lit. Money on the table, too. Ooh, like. that's going to be lit. I'm not. I'm, I just got $200 richer. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> 220 Nate McMillan, there's an. I hope 80. they play the Knicks. Oh, my God. I hope they play the Knicks. Nate there's McMillan. No game seven. Nate McMillan has only been out of the first round once. Based on how many years he's been in the league and in the playoffs, there's an 83% chance he loses in the first round. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with McMillan. my odds. Absolutely not. Oh, my goodness. He, made, he did a good job last season. Let's see if he can keep it up. I'm still, I, I want to see if he could do it again. Okay. See if he could do it again. All right, I'm with you there. One of the biggest interviews this past weekend was, or this past week was the Kevin Durant and Draymond Green interview. Biggest takeaway. Uh, for me, I'll say it didn't live up to the hype. Wow, I'm surprised. It didn't, Agreed. It really? didn't live up to the hype. Oh, my God. Bleacher Report was, was advertising it as if this was an unfiltered conversation. Like they were going to dog each other? They talk about everything, all, all this stuff. But in reality, it was an extremely edited interview. You can tell that the questions... Look, I'm not going to... I'm not going to judge Draymond of doing this or any producer that produced that show chips, but I will say it felt like they gave Katie the questions beforehand and, <laughs> and said, Hey man, this was going to happen. And then Draymond and KD went over the questions and said, okay, we're going to say this, this and that to it. And that's what I felt like happened when they talked about the warrior situation. The fact that Kevin Durant and Draymond green Blame Steve Kerr and Bob Myers for their argument, two grown adults' argument. I don't think that that's what happened. The fact that they blame the front office for KD's departure there we go. was ridiculous. Yep. It was ridiculous. Okay. The reason why that argument happened is because there were already rumors that KD was leaving. Yep. And Draymond was like, you're not with us anyway. And... He called them a B, you know, and at that point in time, the whole world is against Kevin Durant. The whole NBA world is calling him a snake. Quick There's question real quick. Was that argument after All-Star break? Yes. Because during the All-Star break, Kevin Durant said he, him and Kyrie already talked about leaving and going to Brooklyn. Ooh, then I, let me look it up then. I don't want to say. You got to look it up. <clears throat> this what I believe. Draymond already felt like Kevin Durant was out of the team. He didn't feel like he was on the team anymore. November 13th, So it was towards yeah. the beginning of the season. Yeah, wow. Wasn't after the All-Star break. Kevin Durant was already, he had one foot out of the door. Draymond Green called him a B. And at that point, when all of the pressure is on Kevin Durant's shoulders. Damn, that game was that early? I know, I'm surprised too. All of the pressure was on KD's shoulders. Everybody was criticizing him, what he does. He's already feeling some type of way about it. He's human being. For example, if I'm getting criticized heavily on the internet, which sometimes that happens because, you know, our videos do well on TikTok and TikTok is very vicious. If you guys criticize me that same way, now my safe haven, my space, my team, I feel like there's a rift. I'm like, okay, these guys are calling me dumb, and now I'm getting it from you guys too. Yeah. I can't even trust you guys. Not for sure. 
So the fact that Draymond did that and stepped out of line and said that to KD, it showed KD like, man, the whole world is against me and even you are too. And that's what hurt KD the most. And the fact that Draymond didn't want to apologize, even though they told him to apologize, they suspended Draymond because they wanted to make Kevin Durant feel better about it. Did you think that was a good idea? I don't think it was a good idea, but the Warriors also had a players-only meeting. Yep, They could have hashed it out there. They didn't. Obviously, Draymond and Katie were not vibing at that point in time. And the reason Katie left was, one, I believe Katie wasn't staying regardless. I thought he was going to leave anyway. I agree. But he, it, gave him, it gave him more reason because he wasn't vibing with Draymond like that. And for them to blame it on the front office was utterly ridiculous. I thought it made com- it made zero sense. I felt like both of them before the show said they were going to blame it on the front office because something subliminally may be going on behind the scenes and Draymond may be taking a jab at the front office for maybe their lack of personnel decisions. And I think there's something behind there. Conspiracy theories. Okay. Yes. But that situation, it wasn't the front office. It was Draymond and KD. Not being that cool, KD wanting to leave—that's what it was. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think um, the, inf- the the way they was promoting the interview, I thought it would definitely be a lot, you know, a lot more information, a lot more informative. I thought we was going to get a lot more intense questions. You know, you was going to learn something we kind of didn't know already. But and you know, I, I I'm, I'm blanking on the reporter I was reading it from, but it was a Warriors reporter talking about the players only meeting and talk about how Steph was very, cause he was injured at the time. He wasn't on the trip and he was talking about how Steph was very vocal in the meeting. He was trying to get them together, but Draymond and Katie just weren't Draymond wouldn't apologize. And I don't really think, you know, he should have apologized. I I'll feel say. like if you like, you mean what you say, <clears throat> say he could have said it a different way. Mm-hmm. You know, he could have said it at a different time. But I feel like that's how you felt, KD. And KD has spoken about that even before that season. He was already, he didn't really even want to be there, you know, from the fans talking about this is still Steph's team, from news reporters talking about how he really didn't look happy. You know, it was like he people was already, you know, on him anyways. So the fact that Draymond just spoke how, probably, he probably spoke how everybody on the team felt. I feel like he shouldn't have apologized for that. I don't think, I wouldn't apologize either. It's just he could have came off a little bit better or differently. Draymond Green's a very particular guy, and Draymond Green has never been one to filter his thoughts, ever. He, that's what makes Draymond as effective as he is, as impactful as he is to, to the culture of basketball as a whole. He is very, very specific on what he, he says because he's meticulous in everything that he does. He, he thought that at that point in that time, KD has already had two championships Mentally, he's tougher than what we've seen in the past. By me, by me being Draymond, by saying this to Kevin Durant in this situation, I'm 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 already guessing that KD has some time some type of mental strength that you know what? Obviously, we need you. We I, I'm talking to you because in the moment you're getting mad at me because I I'm trying to take the ball up. It's a regular season game. Like we won two champ. It's a like this is it's we got a bigger picture to see. So I get why Draymond Green wouldn't apologize. It's two grown men playing a ba- playing basketball. KD's mental toughness, even at that point, after being a two-time MVP, was still in question. And now this is a them trying to blame the the Steve Kerr and and blame Bob um, Myers. Thank you, Bob Myers is a way of trying to hide 
KD actually getting his feelings hurt, like you mentioned. KD felt a type of way from Draymond, no doubt. And them by them trying to twist it on Bob Myers and blame it on Steve Kerr, it's kind of shifting gears of, okay, KD feels actually genuinely upset by what Draymond said. Even though KD really didn't have nothing to prove to them. In his eyes, right? He says it all the time. I don't really have nothing to prove. My, these two championships and these two MVPs solidified what I what I am to the league, what I am to the history of this league. But clearly, he's, the fact that Draymond was said things that he said and it impacted him the way that he did, his mental toughness wasn't there. Do I think Draymond shouldn't have said it like you said? Absolutely not. You pick a time and a place in a locker room when there's not fans, when it's not the game, when you're not about to go into overtime, for sure. But at the same time, there has to be some kind of understanding between the two that, you know what? We're brothers. I can say what I want to you. End of the day, you know I got you regardless. So, of course, I, I do believe he didn't have to apologize. It's two grown men being grown men. Simple as that. It's one soft, one's not. <laughs> My thing about it is that <clears throat> all everybody was talking about in the media, on social media, was that the Warriors don't need you, KD, to win. And that, and that Draymond incident when he said that to Kevin Durant, it kind of reinforced the notion, we don't need you, bro. We yeah. did this without you. We don't need you. That's why Kevin Durant felt outcasted. And it's funny in hindsight where when that season KD boycotted the media and was very, you know, whatever. He was very, very wishy-washy saying that they're clickbaiting and stuff. But in hindsight, these guys were right about their stories, about the rift. They were right about KD leaving. They're right about all that stuff. And Katie the entire time was like, oh, they're just clickbaiting all this stuff. Just goes to show you. I'll say this, though. I thought the Kevin Durant, Draymond Green interview would have been more like the Kobe and Shaq interview. Mm. Where Kobe is like, Shaq, my bad for being this stubborn guy at the time that took all these shots and didn't pass. And Shaq was like, yeah, I could have worked harder as well. Instead, this interview was two grown men refusing to take accountability for their actions and saying, yeah, man, it was Steve Kerr and Bob Myers' fault. Blaming other grown men. What are they supposed to do? Are they supposed to hold KD and Draymond hostage yep. until they make amends? KD and Draymond have to, have to reconcile on their own. Phil Jackson, one of the greatest coaches in, in the history of the game, when Kobe and Shaq were going through their drama during those years when the Lakers, when the Lakers three-peated, Phil Jackson let the situation play out. He didn't step in. They won championships because they were so talented, but Jackson didn't step in. If Draymond and Kevin Durant are not on the same page, there is nothing Kerr and Bob Myers can do. They're just not cool at the time, and that's okay. But don't blame it on other people. I thought the interview was extremely edited. The best part of it for me was when Kevin Durant talked about not having kids. Yo, we've been waiting for that answer for a minute. Yeah, because I didn't know why he didn't have kids. I, I didn't. I thought he probably did have one. I don't know why he didn't have. I, I didn't know he didn't have a family. Mm -hmm. You know, I know that James Harden doesn't. He's a strip club guy. <laughs> but Kevin Durant, that, that's what I thought was the best part of the interview. Him talking about not having kids, just hoop. not having a family, and also him talking about happiness and how he doesn't want to be happy because it's a fleeting feeling. And he wants to be more at peace more than be happy because happy, sad, they're all fleeting emotions. I thought that was more of an interesting thing. But of course, the Kerr and Bob Myers thing 
well, was pushed to the course. forefront. And I, I thought that that was an extremely edited and planned out answer by Draymond and KD. I didn't think it was authentic. What's your take on KD saying um, he didn't know what his role was every night in Oklahoma City? Do you think he was just saying that or do you think that was like the truth? No, he said it because you can never know what your role is when you play with Russell Westbrook. Because mm. Kevin Durant at Golden State, you know I'm the first sco- first option. You know I'm going to have the ball in hands. I'm the ISO score. In OKC, I want to be that, but sometimes Russ wants to be that. Sometimes Russ is going to take 35 shots, and I got to take 26. Mm. Sometimes Russ is going to do. He's going to have the ball more times in his hands. So KD, his role, I would say he had a defined role there, but it was volatile because depending on how Russ felt every given night, it could change. Mm. No doubt he had a role on the Warriors. That team was already orchestrated perfectly. You plug in Kevin Durant to the greatest team of all time in the regular season, there's, it's no surprise that he was, um, okay, my role is to score the basketball efficiently, play really good defense, be the isolation scorer that I know that I'm already arguably the best in the league at, the best in the league at, I'm the best isolation scorer and arguably that this league's ever seen. It's no surprise to me that he adapted that role in, in, in Golden State and knew his role right off rip. And OKC, he actually had to work for it. That's why he struggled in finding his role. So... I agree that no, I, I do believe him. He definitely struggled to find his role. But it's no surprise that he found his role right away in Golden State. Mm. That team was so good that all you had to do was just be what you always have wanted to be. Isolation score, not seeing multiple double teams a game, not seeing as many double teams in the clutch because you got to worry about Steph Curry, got to worry about Klay Thompson. So that's why I, I definitely agree with him there, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I had to get the vanilla bean out of my mouth for a sec. Dude, I was looking at that drink. What is that? It's, what is that? It's vanilla bean culotta. Ugh, that color is just so displeasing to me. It's because it melted. Yeah? yeah. Was it like a, a slushy almost? It was a culotta. I, I actually told my saying. mom that I wanted a uh, French vanilla. I wanted coffee. Uh huh. Because I, I, wasn't, I wasn't feeling too energetic. Have you ever had the Charlie? No. Bro. What's that? You get it right now. I'm giving Duncan a plug right now. $3 for a medium drink. You get a small, it's four. Makes no sense, but it's the truth. It's a Charlie, Charlie D'Amelio. You know who she is, TikTok, oh, okay. right? Oh, okay. So she has her signature drink. I don't want to mess it up. It's a cold brew. It has cinnamon. It has caramel. I don't know what else it has. It's unbelievable. It has a, it has a, a cold foam at the top, too, but you have to swirl it around so you get the cinnamon taste all around. Oh, my God. It's ridiculous. They still have it? Yeah, you can get it right now. Oh, I'm, I'm about to get the Charlie. No, man. for real. No, shout it's, out. Shout out to you. It's Charlie. Dude, it was funny. Uh, and then we'll go back to basketball. Because I'd gotten one at my Hackensack location because they have a drive-thru. It was mid. They didn't even fill it to the top. I go to the one near my brother's crib in Little Ferry, and it is like Charlie D'Amelio herself made it. Absolutely mint. Foam to the top. It was unbelievable. The difference was night and day. Wow. Don't I go to Hackensack. I have to try it. Little Ferry. You're talking about the one by White Castle, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. The Baskin Robbins Dunkin' Donuts yeah. one. Baskin Robbins is good, too. Something about the syrup in the Baskin Robbins does not sit with my stomach, man. Every time I have a shake, I throw up. Oh, I was just talking about the ice cream. Oh, no, but that's what I'm saying. Something about Baskin Robbins and what they do to their shakes messes me up. 
on to the last portion of the podcast. We're going to talk about contract extensions and, and some trades, right? So Marcus Smart got a contract extension from the Boston Celtics four years, $77 million mm. extension, $19 million on average. They also extended Robert Williams four years, $54 million. And quick question, Marcus Smart playing point guard. They announced he will play point guard. Can the Celtics reach their potential with Smart playing point guard? What do you think? Um, You know, that's a tough question because, like you said, with Westbrook, he's very volatile. I think Smart is the same way. You don't know what – you know defensively you're going to get the same guy, but on offense, you know, in terms of being a playmaker, being a scorer, being a spot-up shooter, you don't know what you're going to get with Marcus Smart on a given night. He's a very wild and erratic basketball player. But I think, you know, with Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown – Marcus Smart, I think they can definitely – their potential right now is in Eastern Conference Finals. I think that's their ceiling right now, their potential. I think that's what they're shooting for. And I think with Smart, you know, I was, you know, he's not he's not a bad pick-and-roll playmaker. He's not a bad point guard. I think with Smart being at the one, that's your best bet right now. And I think they can definitely reach their potential with Smart being at the one. It's more going to be on the defensive end. And if he's not – and if his – you know, he can just drop the nights where he's just a little erratic, then they'll reach that potential. I'm a big Marcus Smart guy. Of course you are. I'm a big Marcus Smart guy. You're talking about him because earlier. Because it's, it's bigger than just what he does on the court. What he means to that locker room is why it's essential for him to be on this roster. He's one of those guys, like I mentioned with Davion Mitchell, he's going to give you what he gives you in quarter one to quarter four. He's going to be going all night long. Pause. That being said, his defense is... <laughs> One of the best in the league for a guard, for sure. Offensively, his three-point shot could be significantly better. Not horrible. Shot 33% last year. About... A little bit below average. Definitely, but about what he's been averaging for the last few years. So it's not like he's dropped off. He he shot a percent less than what he shot the year prior. I think that because of his presence in the locker room, he's so essential to what the Celtics are trying to do. Especially when you have guys like Tatum and Jalen Brown who are obviously way more talented than he is, but they don't have the leadership qualities that he possesses. And with you you take Marcus Smart out of the picture. I'm cool with you take Kemba out of the picture, no problem about it, because he really, he's smiling after they're losing a game, regardless of how he plays. <laughs> partying with uh, A-Boogie. He Mar- argued with him? No, party. Party. Oh. After they uh, lost to the Nets, he went right to a party that night. I would party with A-Boogie too. Yeah, yeah me too. No, no doubt about no it. No doubt about it. But make sure you don't get caught. <laughs> Don't How get caught you after you not lose. Get caught. He's Kemba. It, very in New York. True. Very true. He's home. I mean, it's a right. boogie too. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. He's no, come on. They're taking a flick together. A boogie. Yo, let's take yeah. a flick. Especially you know. in 2021, you're popped. Huh? <laughs> 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 Regardless, Mar- Mar- like I was saying, Mar- Marcus Smart is very impactful on that in that sense of the of the game, and if he can just. Elevate his shooting a little bit. It's not like his field goal percentage is what's what bothers me so much. Un, shooting under forty percent, just under forty percent from the field. Is, what's his EFG though? If you could look that up for me, he shot for he shot field goal percentage thirty nine point eight. So it's just under. It's not like he needs to be that offensively. Like I was saying before, I feel as if you know you got guys like Payne, Payne, uh excuse me, Payne Pritchard that is on the rise. Definitely could be. Yeah, no, not good. Uh, Payne Pitcher, who who could be, you know, have a little bit more offensive responsibility, and then Marcus Smart really give full effort to the defensive side of the ball. I'd be more confident with that, especially being the starting guard. 
it's it's not like all starting guards are going to be um, um, or, or that are amazing scorers. Marcus Smart's an amazing defender. Pat Bev was a starter. He, he's not a scorer at all. He's an amazing defender. So I do believe that he can play the point guard position. I don't think that he's going to have to have the offensive presence that that you know Kemba had or or you know any other kind of point guard similar to to Kemba. He doesn't need to be that because he is so essential to the locker room that I think that it's more than fine that they gave him this extension. But he shoots between 16 and the three-point line. He shoots 46%. That's not bad. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Mm -hmm. And his three-point, it's, he shot, his career high was 2018. He shot 36. He went down to 34, went down to 33. So it's not drastic, but it is a drop. And I want to see him improve, especially with the fact that you have Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum all you have to do is just be that that score that that corner shooter, that spot up shooter for them when they need to kick and when they're when they're driving to the basket. If he can just bring the the percentage up a, a little bit, he'll be more than fine. I love this for Boston because they're locking up their players long term. And Robert Williams is smart. Now they have Tatum, Brown, Smart, and Williams all locked up. I think. It's so good to lock these guys up because not only do you know that you have their rights for years to come, but also if a star player becomes available, you have the contracts to match Bradley their contracts. Bill. Well said. Bradley yep. Bill is a guy that good has point. been rumored. So that's why I think it's, it's good. And Ime Adoka has said that he wants the ball in Marcus Smart's hands. He wants Smart to be the point guard. Out of college, Oklahoma State, Smart was a point guard. He was supposed to be the Boston Celtics' future point guard. He was supposed to take the mantle from Rajon Rondo. The problem is that when Smart came into the league for the Celtics, IT was traded for, right? Then IT did what he did in Boston. It was electrifying. Smart didn't get a chance to be the point guard. Yep. Then they got Kyrie. Yep. Then they got Kemba. Marcus Smart was never given the ability to be a point guard. He's still 26. He was too. always asked to be an off-guard player, off-the-ball guy. And to this point, I mean, last season, 13 points per game, 5.7 assists, 40% from the field, and 33% from three. Last year, at the minutes that were logged for Marcus Smart at the point guard position, he had a net rating of minus 0.4 in 424 minutes. So he's not... A positive, he wasn't a positive last year at least. And here's where I was surprised because I think Marcus Smart is a hell of a player. He's an elite defender. I think he is better suited to be a point guard. He is 6'3, 6'4 around there. He's better suited to be a point guard. In the 1920 season, he had a 9.9 net rating at point guard. In the 1819 season, he had a 10.6 net rating. So the Celtics were a plus when he ran the point. But here's where it gets tricky. The Celtics net rating with Marcus Smart on the court with Tatum and Jalen Brown, this is from 2017. So 2017, 2018. No, it's from 2018, 2019. The past four seasons regardless. I got you because Jalen Brown was a rookie. Uh, okay. Jason Tatum was a rookie 2018. This past season, they were plus 12.2 mm. with... Uh, actually, no. This is... I, I'm fumbling right now. That's all right, man. This past season they were a minus point they were minus zero point three mm. with Smart on with Tatum and Brown. Two two seasons ago they were plus six point three. 
Three seasons ago, they were negative 2.8. Four seasons ago, they were 12.2, plus 12.2. Now, the Celtics net rating with Smart off and Tatum and Brown on this past season, plus 6.2. Two seasons ago, plus 12.4, which is twice as much as when Marcus Smart is on with Tatum and Brown. Three seasons ago, plus 7.9. Four seasons ago, plus 8.3. These stats show that the Celtics or are better, or Tatum and Brown are better on the court when Marcus Smart is off the court. Net rating-wise, that's what these stats show. And I know I fumbled it. I made it a little bit confusing to understand. But just know the gist of it is that the Celtics are worse. Well, Tatum and Brown (laughs) are worse when Smart is on the court with them. They are positive still, but they're better when Smart is off and they're on together. That worries me a little bit, but I think Marcus Smart now having a different defined role is going to be able to embrace that role more because what this doesn't take into consideration is... What position he was Yeah, was Smart the shooting guard? Was he off ball? Was Kemba running the point? Was Kyrie running the point? It doesn't show that. I'm guessing Smart was playing off the ball. Now that he's playing on the ball, I think it's going to be a different story. But I love the starting lineup. Marcus Smart... (laughs) Uh, Josh Richardson, they just secured him for another year. He's going to make up to $24 million this season and next season combined. Jalen Brown, Tatum, Robert Williams. And off the bench, they now solved their bench problem with Schroeder, Horford, Neesmith, Pritchard. Jabari Parker's still there. So Jabari or Grant Williams, you know, one of those two guys. Grant Williams is terrible. Yeah, he's just a good defender. So I, I think this is good. I think Marcus Smart in his new defined role can excel. He's... I think he's been dying to play point guard since he got to the NBA. Definitely. He's finally going to get the chance to play point guard, and we'll see how this plays out. But when you mentioned Patrick Beverly, I actually think Pat Bev would be the perfect point guard for the Celtics. Three indeed. Because he's defensive, defensive-minded, defensive just as good as defender as Marcus Smart, maybe a little bit worse. Better shooter. But he's a significantly better shooter. For sure. And I think that's what Boston needs. So Patrick Beverly would have been perfect, but Marcus Smart... He has to improve his three-point shooting. We'll see if he improves on that. And we'll see if he is less of a shot chucker because there are times where he can force the issue. So those are all wait and sees. But I think he can blossom in this new point guard role. Agreed. Definitely. Terry Rozier also got a contract extension. Four years, $97 million extension. Do you believe he was overpaid? I mean, I mean, Charlotte Hornets... When last year when they signed Gordon Hayward, I thought that was an overpay, but obviously Hayward played well for them. And in Charlotte, you have to overpay because it is a small market. Terry Rozier, a lot of people thought this was an overpay on Twitter, but what is your opinion on it? Well, you said it. You know, Charlotte is a market that has to overpay for their players. And I think with last year, you saw Terry and LaMelo develop some chemistry. You kind of want to keep the same team that you kind of were rolling with last year and just keep adding on talent, you know, from the draft, you know, in Charlotte, their biggest free agent has been Gordon Hayward, you know, so they're not going to get guys in free agency. The best bet is to keep the guys you have now and just add on guys with potential and just try to develop. And I think keeping Terry Rozier, a 20 points per game scorer, who, you know, he played well off the ball, on the ball with Charlotte. He played really well next to LaMelo. He looked good next to LaMelo. It looks like his jump shot Looks right off the ball. So I think, you know, giving him that extension just locks him in with LaMelo. You know, I think it locks him in for LaMelo's whole rookie deal. So you get a guy who can score, 
play off the ball until LaMelo develops into that guy. I, th- I don't think this was an overpay. I just think people have to look at Charlotte in the lens and look at their market. I think this is a really good signing. I'm, I'm, what surprises me was that they signed him to this extension after drafting Buck Knight, given the fact that they play a similar position. However, I guess after seeing what Buck Knight was, was doing in the summer league and what Rozier has meant to the, to the Hornets these last two seasons, they figured, you know, let's not risk anything. Let's give this guy what he wants. And $24 million a year, I'm not really thinking that that's an overpay. Again, we've gone over it a few times in past episodes going over co- uh, people's contracts who have gotten over 20 million. There's a few guys here that I, it, do me a favor. Look up guys making over 20 million right now. As I'm going on, there's no way that there are definitely some names there that you look at Terry Rozier and what Terry Rozier has actually done these last few years. It's more than justifiable to be given 24 million, 20 points a game. His effective field goal percentage is 54.8. That's amazing, given the fact that he went from nine points a game in 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 Boston, make, making that the very next season 18 points, the very next season taking it up another notch in 20. It's a, an improvement that was drastic, an improvement that has been crucial to a degree, aside from obviously LaMelo, to the Hornets having some success. Go ahead, please. Andrew Wiggins. Okay, Terry Rozier and Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins is definitely better defensively. John Collins. Okay. Kevin Love. Obviously, I'm D'Angelo cool with that. Russell. How, how much are they making? D'Lo makes 29 a year. Okay, he's Rozier, making I think, is as good as D'Lo. Yeah, CJ McClellan That's makes... That's hot, but it's not I don't think that it's hot. hot of a... It's not CJ that. makes 33 a year. CJ who? McCollum. McCollum? Jared Allen makes 20 a year. It's like Terry Rozier has been... Buddy Hill makes 23. And that's all you need to know right there. And they're very comparable in that sense where Terry Rozier is, is doing more than enough. His improvements have been drastic. To give him $24 million, you kind of got him, given the fact that he's been on an incline for these past few seasons, this contract is going to look like chum change in a few years, especially with the fact that LaMelo is only going to get better. The Hornets are only going to get better. And no doubt about it, Terry Rozier is going to play a crucial part in that. Terry Rozier last year averaged 20 points per game, and he's one of four players to average 20-plus points per game and have 200-plus threes made. The only other players were Dame, Steph, and Zach Levine. So Terry Rozier is an elite company. <laughs> last year, he averaged 20.4 points per game, 4.2 assists, 45% from the field, 39% from three, and 82% from the free throw line, and shot 50, 40, and 90 in the clutch. Mm. I mean, you can hear he, he was hitting clutch shots all year last year, and the Hornets announcer had a bunch of highlights because he was going crazy when Terry Rozier did that. Mm. I, I'm, I'm blanking out on the announcer's name, but he's awesome. One of the best there is. I'll yeah, look it he's up right awesome. now. awesome. Terry Rozier, I think this was well worth it. In Boston, he said numerous times that he wanted to be, he wanted to have his own team. He wanted to be one of the focal points on offense he wanted to be a pivotal part to a team. He went to Charlotte. At the time when he got signed, people thought that that was an overpay. Then Terry Rozier proved everybody wrong. He had a great season, and he's continuing to do so. He has that underdog mentality. And usually, when teams sign these smaller guards, I'm not on board. Mm. But the difference with Charlotte is that this backcourt is not Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham. It is not a 
six one and under backcourt. It's Lamelo and Terry Rozier. Lamelo is a guy who's six 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 seven with Terry who's six one six two. It works perfectly. It's like he's playing a one, he's playing a two. The size works perfectly. I think this team's a really good team. At first, I was thinking maybe it could stunt it could stunt Buck Knight's development, but honestly, Buck Knight I don't think is ready to take that step to where he is one of the main guys on the team, and that's what Rozier is for Charlotte right now. Definitely. I think he's going to benefit by working with Terry Rozier in practice day in and day out. I think this will help him even more. And their team is good, man. Lamelo, Rozier, Hayward, PJ Washington, Plumley, Bridges, Ubre, Ish Smith, Kai Jones, Jalen McDaniels, Buck Knight. It's a pretty good team, man. Just missing I, a big. I wasn't a big fan of the Ubre signing. I felt like Ubre was a a throw-in guy. I'm I'm not sure how much he's going to help this team. He wasn't good with Golden State last year. I thought he was kind of just a throw-in. He definitely brings more swag to the team. A little bit of defense. Yeah, he definitely brings more swag to the team. I think the Hornets are a big man away from seriously competing and being in contention for something bigger than what they've been the past couple of years, which is an eighth seed team or a low seeded team in the East. They're a center away. Mm. And maybe Kai Jones can develop into that, but they are a center away offensively. Their depth, they have all of that. I think this Terry Rozier signing was good for them. I think Terry Rozier has earned it, and it's good to see that the Hornets rewarded him for what he's done so far for that team. Yeah, I think they got their guys for the future. You know, Buck Knight, Kai Jones, LaMelo, Terry Rozier is still a bit young, but P.J. Washington, Miles Bridges, I think they have their guys, you know. So I think, like you said, just bringing in Gordon Hayward was huge for them, huge for their development, huge for last year getting into the playing. You know, even though they lost, they still got in. That's still something that works. Now it's... LaMelo making that year two jump, Miles Bridges, PJ making those jumps, James Bucknight coming in, you know, him making that improvement, Kai Jones the same with him. So I think, like we said, you know, they have a bright future, a lot of youth and solid players that complement their youth. And I think that's the good thing. Biggest player I'm looking at right now is PJ Washington. We've seen him have big moments, scored 40 points in a game. He, he can be a very effective b- ball player, but on a consistent basis, he just lacks that. Mm. And, if PJ could take it to a, a level where he's being very consistent offensively, if he can average a consistent 18 points, but a firm 18 points where, you know, he teeters in the, in the high 20s, you know, drops the occasional 30s, but he, he stays on it, stays on it. You have LaMelo, you have Terry Rozier, you have Gordon Hayward, like you guys mentioned. I look at PJ Washington and he could be that answer to, to the big, the missing big. Of course, it's nice to have death and you want to get Kai Jones acquainted really fast. But P.J. Washington has already showed flashes of greatness. Not superstar potential, but the, he could be a very good cal- – he, he he's already a high-caliber player. It's just a matter of if he, he can do it on a consistent basis. And that's – I look at him, and he's the, the piece where the Hornets could actually take that next step into being an eighth, a seventh, a sixth seed. If they can get P.J. on board, if they can get LaMelo to continue being the superstar that he is going to be – Terry Rozier continues to ascend the way he's ascended. Gordon Hayward can actually stay healthy. This team is definitely on the rise, no doubt about it. I would agree if PJ wasn't six eight. But you can you've seen rosters where they run a small ball, and if he's the small ball five, that is a that is more than okay with me. And stretches, stretches. In we what have, sense? We haven't seen a team 
go from start of the season to end with a small ball five and be successful outside of Houston. Yep. But that's because they had James Harden. I agree. James Harden and Russ. But Kevon Looney is only 6'9". I'm not saying, obviously. Draymond is one of the best defenders to ever play against. But you didn't say that. You just said we haven't seen a lineup where uh, they went from start to finish and with a 6'9". But well, we know P.J. Washington isn't that. But you didn't say but, that, but though. But we've seen flashes of P.J. Washington be great. I'm saying... He can definitely be better than Kevon Looney, bro. No doubt about defensively? that. Yeah. Come on. But it's not... Kevon doesn't make them go. Yeah, but he's the and, starting and five. The, and the Warriors were really dominant when they had um, Bogut starting. But Kevon Looney was there when the they were... The 73 and 9 team yeah. was Bogut. You're talking about this past season with Looney. Well, uh, yeah, yeah. Was? Steph Bo- makes them go on You're offense. Right. You're right. Yeah. Bogut was the, the guy. And when he was out, they definitely missed him. But the color commentator, Eric Collins. Eric Collins, yeah, he's amazing. I have a question for you guys. Who's better, Gordon Hayward or DeMar DeRozan? Gordon Hayward. Like, I'm not even blinking yeah. at that either. He's right. I think he does everything better except shoot the mid-range. He plays defense better. He's a better playmaker. I think he's a better shooter in general. Yeah. And he fits better on more teams because of his ability to play on ball and off ball. You think he's a better playmaker? If he's not better, they're probably on the same tier. I know people are going to use the assist. I think Hayward is better, but I do think uh, the playmaking, I'll oh, give yeah. the edge well, to Rosen. That's, like I said, I, I would go Hayward, but I like. DeMar's playmaking has improved to the point where you could put it. But I think Hayward has always had that in his back. It's just he doesn't, you know, generate as much assist as DeRozan. He's been asked to be more of a scorer. I was going through the Hornets and Bulls roster. It's not far off. Hornets well, we are have there. the best player. Who, LaMelo Zach. Ball? Zach is – yo, come – oh, my. I'm done. We done? Are we done? <laughs> are we done? <laughs> Listen, it's Zach obviously better right egregious now. to say LaMelo's yes. better than Lonzo. Okay, but Zach Hayward's is better right better now. Hayward's better than DeRozan. Well, okay. Well, DeRozan's the four. Rozier, Levine. Levine's better, but... You're sick in the head. Oh, my God. <laughs> Can you stop? Rozier's really good, too, no, though. No, LaMelo's better. Not crazy. Zach's better. Pat is our three. DeRo- so, Hayward's better, but De- DeRozan's better than Miles Bridges or P.J. Washington. I mean, your really front court's going to be better than yeah. Hornets, but then their depth is significantly better. Yeah, because we have freaking... Caruso and freaking Kobe White off the bench. Listen, you're gonna Oh, wait, hate, but we might keep Laurie. Hate, that'd be all day. That'd be tough. Listen, hate on Caruso now. And we have the clearly better five. Like, yeah. So yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. You guys do. Don't disrespect But us. this roster isn't far off from all right, but Chicago. Don't, we're not far off from Yah. I don't know why you be trying Ooh, to make that. So you beat are, us in one position. Hold on. Not close, Go, look, look, they beat it. Kemba's better than Lonzo, but Zach is clearly better than whoever's at the two. RJ? Doesn't matter. <laughs> Can you stop? <laughs> you better not put RJ here. Who's your three? Uh, Fournier. Actually, Fournier, I mean, RJ's are three, Fournier's are two. Who would you have? RJ or Pat Will? Realistically, tomato, tomato, if you, if you want to be honest. No, it's not, It's, it's really it's, tomato, it's tomato. R- it's RJ. But he can have RJ. What the hell? Tomato, tomato. I think it's, Pat's better. It's, I'm not gonna, it's close. It's no, dead it's close. Not, it's not it's close not, at, at all. How's it not close? How's it not close? It's not close Pat at all. is a better defender Come by on. far. I'm not going to entertain this. How's it not close? I'm not going to entertain this. Randall and who? DeRozan goes to Randall. Okay. What about why can't you just compare Randall and Vucevic? <laughs> because Randall's the four. We're comparing. Yeah, what the hell? Yeah, I, I get it. But Vucevic like, is clearly better than Mitch. He's going to say as something a defender, dumb. No. Look, look. See, I told you. I told you. Mitch can, can lock up. So, 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 if you want to say that, then Lonzo's a clearly a better defender than Kemba by far. That's the same thing. It's the Mitch, same thing. It's Mitch the same thing. Mitch can lock up Vucevic though. Okay, and Lonzo can lock, lock up, up Kemba. Kemba. 
Lonzo's not, not, not an elite on-ball defender. He doesn't bro. need to be the lockup Kemba Walker at this point in his career. <laughs> oh, you mean a 20-point against story? Yes, he does. Like, what are you talking about, bro? Oh, Kemba right, locks easy, himself up, bro. Easy. What are you talking about, bro? Easy. Kemba, oh, my Kemba's God. Kemba's better than Lonzo. Don't even entertain this, bro. It's the same gap from nah, I think, Lonzo, I think Lonzo takes a leap over Kemba this season. It's not hard. Yeah, it's it's not. not a big leap. It's, it's not. really it's not. not. Let's just refer it's back ridiculous. to the, is Kemba Walker a top 15 point guard? Yeah, and I, yeah, yeah. Lonzo wasn't the one on that list. I said, nope. Neither was no, Kemba. I said Lonzo, you guys scoffed at me. Lonzo might be better than Kemba. I didn't ever, I never co-signed that. I never co-signed that I said DeJounte Murray, not Lonzo though. I think this is the season where he firmly stamps it. He's it's better. not He's not hard. He's going to have a significantly reduced role than what he had in the Pelicans. Yeah, keep that's not true. Yeah, no. Yes, gotta, it is. You got to stop <laughs> saying that. You got to start watching what they've been talking about, bro. You, I don't need to watch what they've been talking about. They're just capping, bro. It's, so, it's, so, it's so, so, we're gonna believe the guy who's not on the team as opposed <laughs> to the guys who are on the team. Okay. Wait. Uh, so, you, so you would you believe Kevin Durant? When I believe AK. I believe Demar. We're so not talking about believe, the snake. So you believe Kevin Durant snake. when he said he wasn't leaving? We're not talking about snake. You're talking about the biggest snake in NBA history, bro. Of course, Demar is gonna say, "Oh, Lonzo can finally play his game. He's gonna live." I'm listening to the GM. I'm listening. What he's gonna say? Lonzo's gonna be the same player was. The Pel- on the Pelicans, you're not going to say that. Of course, he's going to say the Lonzo's going to. But he's not going to go. Improve. But if he if he truly believes he wasn't going to improve, he wasn't going to go in depth on how he was going to improve. He's just going to be like, nah, he's going to improve. He's going to be better. Simple. It's going to be a simple response. The clip was three minutes. It was four thirty four. So you saw the same <laughs> clip as me. You didn't? Did you see the full episode? No, nah, I didn't see the full. Episode. You saw the clip. In the clip, Demar did not go in depth. No, but he was talking about how he's going. He didn't have an opportunity. In the Pelicans with the Lakers to truly be who he is, which is not a three and D guard. <laughs> That's what he said, bro. Be, he Come on, is bro. that, bro? Right, he we, is uh, that. Uh, he is that. Can't agree. That's what he is. Right. He is. Right. You want him to run your offense? Okay, good luck. Be the point guard. Why can't you like? <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with him. For real, he's in like the Derek Fisher tier. He can't be an Andre Miller for a team. Honestly, honestly speaking, no. What the hell? Are you serious? Andre Miller's nice, bro. What? The, what? What? He's nice. But come on, he can't be an Andre Miller for a team. Andre Miller was a, a, a facilitator. Po- yeah, he ran the floor. He can't. Lonzo, not, he didn't have to what, score. Andre didn't have to score. Be, though. We'll see. We'll see. You know. Can't wait. We'll see. I wish the season started tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah, I really wish. Yeah, so the Bulls can implode. I'd love to see it. So what if the Bulls are the Knicks of last season? What Ew, are you going to do don't there? Ever, first of all, don't. I mean, in the sense they should oh. surprise and they are a high seed. We don't have a Reggie Bullock. I'll admit team. that I'll admit that Billy Donovan did a great job. And Lonzo Ball. Because he'd have to play a role if, in that. If the Bulls are really good, it's because Levine, DeRozan, and Vucevic are going to lead them to that. Oh my God. Lonzo will be the fifth most impactful player on that team. And the fourth being Pat. Or maybe fourth. You know, it's gonna be between those two. It's interchangeable. Okay. All right. <clears throat> but I it's because of those three guys. What what do we think Lonzo is? I I don't know what people think Lonzo is. What well, do y'all think he is? No, I just, I just, I'm just looking at those three guys. That's a pretty impressive three. I oh, mean, dear. you're relying on Randall, RJ Barrett, and Kim Walker. I'm relying on and every Fournier. Oh, sorry, pardon me, Come but on. I'm relying on Zach Robinson. That's three all star. I'm cool with that. Let's rock. Let's rock and roll. Let's rock and roll. I'm cool with I'm that cool too. What do you think Lonzo is? I'm, I listen. He said he's better than Kemba. I didn't say that. You don't think he's better than Kemba? No, I didn't say All that. Right. I didn't say that. I'm riding with so it. Don't try to. Put what do you think Lonzo is as a, as a player? I think he's a playmaking, defending guard. His play style. I think he's. I think he uh, play style. Uh, I think he's a secondary initiator. He's not a primary one. He's a three and D guy. You're putting him in a Pat Bev category, and it's losing. No, no, no. Me. I never said he's in a Pat that's, Bev that's category. That's Pat Bev. That is Pat Bev. That is Pat Bev, but 
Lonzo has a little bit more playmaking to his game because he's a way better passer. He's and he's way more athletic. He's 23. He's 23 now? Yeah. Oh, wow. 22. Such a difference. Don't it is a difference. No, that, he looked at him like he was an idiot. Because <laughs> he, he had it wrong. I guess. but he's, He might turn 24 soon. Uh, I think he's still not. 24 soon is strong because Book is how old? Book is 24. How old is Lonzo? When is his birthday? I'll tell you right now. He's 23. He turns October. So, so he's going to be 24 by the season. Okay. He has reached who he is as a player, bro. So Let him say that because he, said, he probably said that about Randall. You are, and then Randall became this old no, 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 caliber. I didn't. I, I, didn't. I never said, said that. I said people. You I said know people. what I, I said, said about people. Randall. I said people. I said people. Okay. Said you people. said me, though. No, I said people probably said I that about Randall. Benefit of the doubt. He did say you. But he did say he did say you. Well, no, I meant you to, said pardon me. Yeah, I meant see, to say people. And I can, I'm I cool to, with you. I'm in the past there. Pardon me. Pardon me. I meant to say people. The so. difference is that Randall went uh-huh. to a team where he was the number one guy. Lonzo's going to a team where he's the fourth option, bro. But that's not. We're not asking him to go put up points on the board. That's not what we're asking him to do. You're asking him to spot up and be complimentary to Lonzo, Levine, and Vush. You was in the meeting. I'm asking meeting. you a question. This is a valid question. Were it, you in the meeting? It probably feels like I was because I know so much about what they're going to do. Oh my god. It, it feels like I was okay. easy. If it, trust we'll me, I I've been researching this. Mm-hmm. Look, yeah, I'm just saying. I work. For sure. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just look. You know what? I was actually thinking about this because I was like, why do so many people think that Lonzo is going to be this like all star guy still? Who does? Who thinks that? People still think it. Oh, okay. So right. don't think. Don't act like they don't. No, I thought, they still are you have about us. I'll say this: there are still Lonzo Ball fan pages that have like a hundred PJ Tucker fan that have a hundred thousand <laughs> followers. PJ Tucker's not a, as popular as Lonzo. We know that. The reason why Lonzo is still praised as much as he is, he's a fine player. I know he is. But he's praised even more than what he actually is because he has a cult-like following. The Ball family is a cult-like... They have a cult-like fan base. People gravitate to LaMelo. People gravitate to LiAngelo, to LaVar. If Lonzo plays bad, it's, oh, man, it's because the coach doesn't put him in a good enough position. That's why he's missing. He's but hasn't ready. that been the case up until this point? I, To an extent, you can say yes. But when you see Lonzo get the opportunity, he doesn't take advantage. You know, for example, people say, oh, Lonzo wasn't used correctly in, in New Orleans with the Pelicans. He wasn't given the ball. Yeah, obviously, why would you give him the ball over Zion and Brandon Ingram? You, no coach in their right mind yep. is saying, I'm giving the ball to Lonzo over Zion and Ingram. I'm giving the ball to those guys over Lonzo. But it took time for Ingram to develop into who he was. Yeah, but we know who Ingram is. Like Now, because he, he developed into it, because he was given the opportunity to. But he just took off. I, I agree. He, he took off. I, I'm not saying you're wrong there. He definitely did, but he was given the opportunity to. But after his second season in the NBA, he showed that already. You know, but you look, uh, you look, you look at Lonzo's numbers. I agree. To this, the numbers don't look great. But defending him, it doesn't th- look th- great. This is where I get confused with what people think Lonzo's going to be for the Bulls. Levine just had a career season, being a primary ball handler in the pick and roll. Demar Derozan has had All Star years and just had a one of his best playmaking seasons last year, being a primary facilitator, and an isocentric player. Vucevic has made a living being a great post presence. Lonzo just had a career season. 
being a spot-up shooter. Why would the Bulls not continue to use Lonzo in what made him have a career season just now? It, it doesn't make any sense. Why would they want Levine and DeMar and Vucevic to change their games around Lonzo? It's the opposite way. Zoe is going to have to adjust to these guys. And these guys' play styles is pick and roll, ISO, coming off of screens at times. And Lonzo they never has, really had talent around them. Up DeMar has. Point. And actually, DeMar, the other and the, the Bulls argument that we had, he talked about how Lowry was a floor general. DeMar handled the ball more than Lowry in Toronto. That second, that, that last season of his in Toronto. No, all yeah. of the seasons he had. But then how did Lowry end up becoming the assist leader every single year? Because leading the team in assists is different than being the primary ball handler. Well, because he's the primary Lonzo, scorer as well. Lonzo led the Pelicans in assists. Mm-hmm. He didn't have the ball as nearly enough as Zion or Ingram. Mm-hmm. Well, it's because they're not. he's not as good of a scorer. That's yeah, it. but the point is that you have to have the ball in your hands. And DeMar in Toronto had the ball in his hands more than Lowry. Which makes sense. When, you have, when you're in Chicago and Levine and, Le- Levine and DeMar are going to have the ball as much as they are, I mean, how many opportunities realistically is Alonzo going to have to actually play make? That's why I think his role in Chicago is going to be more, I get the pass, I get it passed to me, and I'm making an extra pass or I'm driving, facilitating, and looking for an open man. He might average more assists because there's better talent around him and because he's not going to be asked to do much. But in terms of Lonzo being your guy that brings the ball up the court all the time and is running that pick and roll like Trey Young does, that's not him. He's not that type of point guard. He's not that type of facilitator. He is a utility guy. He plays off of other stars. He is not the star. But people still view him as the star or that he can become the star. But he's not that. And that's what I said about Lonzo. I don't know what people still think about him, but, you know, he does have a cult-like following. It's cool. You know, Pat Bev tier of point guard. Pat Bev tier. Pat Bev is a great player, man. Great player. We're going to talk about Pat Bev now because he recently got traded twice in the past week. Great player. <laughs> he still is, man. He still is. Great player. He still is. He still is. Pat Bev in great is very strong. Very strong. Eric Bledsoe got traded to the Clippers. Rondo and Pat Bev to Memphis. But then Memphis traded Pat Bev to Minnesota for Jared Culver and Juancho Hernan Gomez. I want to get your guys' opinions from each of the team's standpoint, from the Clippers, from the Grizzlies, and the T-Wolves. What do you think? Well, start off with the Clippers. You know, I guess that trade means Reggie Jackson will be inserted as a starting point guard for the season. And I guess they needed another point guard off the bench. You know, I still would have liked Pat Bev. I feel like his uh, defense is better than Bledsoe's at this point, and his three-point shooting is far exceeds Bledsoe's. But I guess excuse me, getting a guy who, you know, another creator of offense, a guy who handles the ball a little bit better than Bledsoe, I mean, a little bit better than Pat Bev, who still can play defense at a high level, I guess that was good, bringing a guy off the bench. I just don't know. With guys like Paul George, you know, Nicholas Batum, Reggie Jackson, Terrence, man, I just, you know, I feel like you still could have kept Pat Beth. But for the Clippers, you know, you still get a guy who can still contribute. He's probably going to have a chip on his shoulders being traded. And this is a team that can definitely, when Kawhi gets back, compete for a championship. So that's going to be on his mind. For Memphis, they got Jared Culver. So I think that's the best thing about it. You know, they get a young guy who still has time to grow and develop. They trust in their staff. They trust in their player development team. Jared hasn't panned out in Minnesota, but 
the new environment can definitely change a player and change your perspective on them. So I think this is a good environment for him. You know, there's room to grow. They're talking about trading Dylan Brooks. So there's room to grow for Culver. He can play the two. He can play the three. Shades of the one. He's a good player. He just needs some development. As for Minnesota, you know, losing, trading Rubio, bringing in Pat Bev. Minnesota plays no defense. This was a win-win. He shoots the three ball at a high level. He can play defense at an elite level. You bring in a guy who can does that, play next to D'Lo, who plays absolutely no defense. I think this is kind of a win for Minnesota. They feel like... And I think we all know when their team is healthy, they're a very competitive basketball team and they, they can are. make some noise in the West if the team just stays healthy. And I think Pat Bev can contribute to that with his 3 and D play. I definitely agree with what you're saying with Minnesota. I love I love the move for them. You bring in a guy, I just don't want to reiterate what you're saying, but it's exactly the truth. They play no type of defense. Their, their identity is being an offensive juggernaut with Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards. D'Lo, obviously. I feel like Beasley. There we go. Malik Beasley. Malik Beasley, Beasley who's nice. definitely really good at basketball. And now, <laughs> regardless of that, uh, now Pat Bev comes into the picture. Someone who's going to get on these guys. Someone who, the reason why I think was traded from the Clippers was because he was becoming too much of a headache, I think, for them. I feel like they were mm-hmm. tired of dealing with like, all his shenanigans on the court, costing them in, in sense of... Bad timing, technical fouls, being too emotional, which I'm not I'm not against. I, I love emotion on my team, especially when you are such a catalyst on a side of a ball that not everyone really cares about all too much now in, in 2021 basketball. Now, you bring in a guy to your locker room that's going to be on your ass every single day to play defense. Anthony Edwards is going to benefit from this mostly. I feel like Anthony Edwards is... I don't want to say similar in mindset to Pat Bev, but similar in the sense of I'm I'm here to, to do a job. I don't care how you guys perceive me. I'm me. That's it. That's Pat Bev. And I feel like he's going to benefit most mostly from, from this Pat Bev signing. Not like Pat Bev's going to have this huge impact. Trade. You understand? Say that one more time. You said signing. Trade, trade. Excuse me. 100%. <laughs> thank you. Not that it's going to have a huge impact in terms of of leadership and I'm excuse me, in terms of 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 winning, but in terms of how they're going to play. I feel like that's what they need, tr- truthfully. Now, you look at the Clippers getting Eric Bledsoe. I I have grown to like this trade. At first, I was like, oh, they gave away Rondo and Pat Bev. They really are completely trying to to change what they are, they are becoming, truthfully, because they saw what they were offensively. They, they know they have really good defenders in PG and Kawhi. Marcus Morris was a really good scorer for them, too, during that playoff run. So they figured, you know what? We already have solid defenders. Pat Bev was a great defender for us too, but you know what? Eric Bledsoe isn't a slouch defensively either. And Eric Bledsoe is a better offensive player than he is. The only issue that I have with Eric Bledsoe is he goes ghost and bad. And like you you, you don't even know he's on a court. When he was on Milwaukee, it was hard to watch him play sometimes, which is why initially I was skeeved out by the move. But I understand because he's not going to be asked to do what he what he was asked to do in Milwaukee. He's going to be an off-the-bench point guard. Reggie Jackson's going to have the responsibility, and he li- he wants that. He's earned that after this past this past uh, postseason. Now, for Memphis, I would have liked them to keep Pat, Pat Bev. I feel like Memphis obviously has John Morant. Obviously, they just drafted Buck. Uh, excuse me, they just drafted Zaire. 
they had an obvious hole at shooting guard. Obviously, Pat Bev is a point guard, but regardless of that, John Morant, I feel as if he could play the two-one transition. He's got this. He's got decent size. He's at more than athletic enough. His scoring abilities is definitely there. You can put Pat Bev at the one, Ja at the two, but still have Ja be the primary ball handler. It wouldn't have been that big of a difference. And then you still add Pat Bev's defense there, which is what I feel like they definitely needed there. You, you, you know, they have Stephen Adams now instead of Valanciunas, which clearly they're going defensive minded. Even though I, I think Valanciunas was definitely overlooked in that sense defensively. Definitely better offensively than he is defensively. But Steven Adams is better defensively, just lacks the offense. Pat Bev at least can do both. Is an amazing defender, is a really good shooter. Instead, you go and you get Jared Culliver, who really hasn't shown much up until this point, showed brief flashes of, of being a solid player. I just don't like taking a, a chance on him, especially when you just saw Ja go and give Utah a, a decent series. He played extremely well, and the Grizzlies at least didn't embarrass themselves. Utah was the better team, of course. But in the grand scheme of things, I just would have liked to see Pat Bev stay in Memphis, see what you know if that was an impact move for them, but ultimately they ended up doing that. The Clippers got a better playmaker, shot creator, but a worse <laughs> floor spacer and defender in Eric Bledsoe. I am higher on the move than most. He is just a backup point guard. I'm not thinking too much into it. The Grizzlies, and maybe Rondo can be a mentor. I think he's, he's not supposed to stay. Okay, that's great news. <laughs> I think I think Rondo, because of his playoff run in L.A., got overrated. No doubt, went to Atlanta, sucked. Went to the Clippers, wasn't good. Now Suck. Grizzlies don't even want him either. He's done. Pat Bev. Pat Bev. At first, I thought it would have been better if he stayed with Memphis, but. I think they have a younger version, more lengthier version of Pat Bev and DeAnthony Melton, mm. who can stretch for and play defense. Tyus Jones is there. Really, this is about getting Jared Culver, former sixth overall pick. I love him out of Texas Tech. He hasn't panned out thus far, but there is still hope. We have seen Memphis develop these guys, so hopefully he can get better. But what's holding him back is his jump shot. He needs to improve as a jump shooter. He had an awkward shot in college as well, but he has to improve that three-point shot if he wants to become a good NBA player. I love this for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Patrick Beverly brings floor spacing. He brings toughness. He brings culture. He brings defense. I think Patrick Beverly is going to help out the Timberwolves in a sense that they're going to have more of an identity. Right now, it feels like an offensive cluster. There's just a bunch of offensive talent we're going to outscore you. That's it. I think Pat Bev brings some stability in. Okay, we're, we can score, but we have to lock in to win. And Patrick Beverly has definitely been on teams that have won. Houston, the Clippers, he's a winning guy, and I think he's going to bring a lot to Minnesota. You look at what he did against Devin Booker. I mean, when Devin Booker was guarded by Patrick Beverly in the playoffs, he went 4-15, 0 for 2 from 3, shot 26% from the field. Anybody else guarded Devin Booker, Devin Booker gave them, gave them fits. 19 for 41, 46% from the field, 5 for 15 from 3, 33% from 3. And then when Patrick Beverly was on Donovan Mitchell, 45 possessions, Mitchell had 10 points and shot 23% yep. from the field. Yikes. So Patrick Beverly, you know, okay, D'Lo, you're not a great defender, but we could put Patrick Beverly on any team's opposing guard, be and he's going Luka. to play defense. Yep. Anthony Edwards. He can play defense, too. Sure. 
And I think they're going to start Jalen McDaniels this upcoming season. Jaden. Jaden McDaniels. Yes, I do think they're going to start him. And he's a heck of a defender who has a lot of potential as well. So now on the roster, you have three defenders. Cat and D'Lo can take breaks on defense. They're more of offensive players anyway. They don't play much defense. You got a Koji coming off the bench. He's a good defender. Yeah, so I mean, there, there are different things Minnesota can do because you can start Pat Bev, have D'Lo at the two, Edwards at the three, McDaniels at the four, Cat at the five. Or you can start D'Lo, Beasley, Edwards, McDaniels, and Cat and have Pat Bev come off the bench. I think it makes more sense to have Beasley come off the bench and be that six-man type of guy the same way that Clarkson is for Utah. Beasley will have the ultimate green light. He he has shown he can average 20-plus points per game on every give, on any given night. So off the bench, he can average about 16. You get that punch because if Pat Bev is off the bench, you have Torrey and Prince, Akogi. Defenders, floor spacers, but they can't create their own shot. Nas Reed, good offensive player. McLaughlin might not play much with Pat Bev there now and Vanderbilt. Yeah. You don't have a score off this bench. It's better. It makes more sense for Minnesota to start Pat Bev, get that defense, and get that offense from Beasley off the bench. So there is a lot of different things Minnesota can do. They have talent, and I think Chris Finch being there now is a better coach than David Saunders. They can do something. When they're healthy, they're a good team. But the problem is that they're not healthy. Cat is injured or D'Lo is injured. They have to find a way to stay healthy. But when they're healthy, they're good. And I think Patrick Beverly was exactly the player that they needed on this team. 100%, man. Listen, I'm with you there. <laughs> there's there's no way to, to sugarcoat it. I just think that Carl Anthony Towns needs to be a leader this season. Going into this season, if they really want to be contenders, regardless of the talent that they have, if Carl Anthony Towns isn't a leader in that locker room, they're not going to win anything. Mm. Because as talented as he is, he is arguably the most gifted big outside of Jokic because Jokic can do it all. But this man, Carl Anthony Towns, is clearly the best big shooter in our league. You could argue he's the, be- the, the best scorer, the scoring big in our league. It's just a matter of, is it going to translate to wins? And we haven't seen that up until this point. Yeah, Minnesota has been dysfunctional. We'll see if they can change it around this upcoming season. And this is going to do it for episode 106 of the Pick Aside podcast. We hope that you guys enjoyed this this uh, episode. And also, shout out to all the eight countries that we are ranked in. You guys are awesome. Canada, Saudi Arabia, Bahamas, Indonesia, Japan, Ghana. United Arab Emirates, Australia. And by the way, Jameis Winston is balling out right now. He's eating? Jameis Winston right now in the first quarter went 9 for 10, 123 yards. And I had a touchdown to Marquez Callaway, who has five receptions for 104 yards. Winston has two touchdowns versus the Jags. Comeback season. <laughs> Comeback season. No, I'm excited for James's comeback tour. Yeah. Callaway, too. Yeah, Callaway's good. Listen, we're going to be getting into fantasy. Sleep on Callaway. We're going to be talking about football real soon. We're going to st- actually, we're going to start a fantasy football league. If you guys yep. have made it this far, if you subscribe to our Patreon, you get first dibs in our fantasy football league. How many people do we want in the fantasy? I'm thinking league? around 10 to 12. We have a okay. decent amount of people. We have on like the Patreon, seven. Right now. So yeah. I'm thinking, I'm. I'd like it to be 10, but if people want to join, I'm more than okay with making it 12. All my favorite players. Listen, I already, I'm already i putting an early bet. Riv, last place. 
Yeah, I know. Probably he's gonna. Be I don't last really day. do fantasy like this. Listen, I just want all my hit favorite the books, players. kid. I hope I get the number one pick. I'm gonna pick. Where are you going? Um, Jalen Hurts Mahomes. got him. Just violated him. That was a corny ass joke. <laughs> you know what though? I'm excited for football. Patty season. Mahomes. That's a fold. Go ahead. Is it really? Yeah. You want to go CMC? CMC. Mm-hmm. Running backs. Mm-hmm. Always. Too freaking bad. All right. No, then I want Dalvin Cook over CMC. I respect it. I'm drafting Corey Davis. He's done. Yo, yo, I want that idea though. I'm drafting Zach Wilson too. Fold. He's gonna go crazy. I'm gonna draft DeAndre Hopkins and AJ Green. You're going for the the old team, all NBA, all all Riv team. Okay, I don't know how to draft. I don't play fantasy, bro. Listen, hit the books or hit my line. I'll take care of you, bro. AJ Green might not even be like a drafted guy. No. Yeah. Nah, he might. He he'll get drafted off name. They said they said he was he's looking like the old uh, AJ in camp, so that's why I'm gonna get him. I, he'll get drafted. Guy. What are they supposed to say? He'll get drafted around like eight nine. What you mean? Later. Are they supposed to say, "Oh man, AJ Green looks"? Nah, old they'll trash him. They won't they say. They just won't him. say anything. Exactly. They just, they just won't say anything. Looking like the good. Don't. don't. No, no. I, I like AJ Green. Hopefully, he can, he can uh, be better this upcoming. I mean, he's gonna see a bunch of second and third stringers. He's gonna kill them. He's gonna eat. I'm excited for the football season, man. We do a segment, NFL Pick'em Power Rankings each week. NFL pick was my favorite. You lose that. I actually was. I actually had the best record out of all. Did you really? Yeah. And now you got it's the a new year. It's, now. it's a new year. I had the best. New year, record new out vision. Of you got the boy going and against it's gonna you happen now. Again. New year, new hey. vision. And I think this time, now that we have a bigger audience, people will keep track of this stuff more. New year, new vision. I'll keep track. I'll bring a book and I'll just write down. All right, new year, new vision. That's all I'm gonna tell you. You have to keep track of it each week. Picking of course. Before the before the pick 'em segment, have to see who who got. So right, we do every single right. matchup. Yes, every week. Yeah, like, but every it's matchup. not it's not like just quick. Yeah, it's not like oh, Saints versus Jacks. We're gonna win, and you're like oh, you know, Definitely you talk analysis. for like three minutes. Yeah, no. yeah, it's, it's like fifteen seconds. It's like I think Saints are gonna win. James Winston's gonna have a great game. Love that. Jaguars defense is gonna be bad. Okay, Can't wait. That's it. I'm excited. Yeah, Jets lit. not beating us again this they were, year. I you know almost went undefeated one week. I, I had a lot of weeks. One, I think weirdly I remember that. I had I'm a, a lot of, of the show, bro. Yeah, I had a lot of weeks where I was like thirteen and two, stuff like that. I'm gonna have some. Undefeated. I came in second. Place. I remember vividly. This is. I'm telling you, I'm a fan. People were asking me for betting advice. That's exactly what it was. You went thirteen and one, something like that, and you're like, listen, this probably won't happen <laughs> again. Don't bet. Listen, I, I had a good week. Don't bet me next week nine and eight, something like that. Yeah. You know, it's hard, man. For real. It's hard. It's unpredictable. But this is going to do it for this episode. We appreciate you guys for listening. For real. Man, this has been a blast, man. 106 episodes. And can't wait for 107, which we're going to record Wednesday, I believe. Football-only episode. And also, we're going to have a next guest for the 108th episode. We're going to talk about basketball again. Have some good topics for that. So, thank you guys for watching, and we'll see you guys next time.